The LodgeCast Reboots. The LodgeCast Reboots. You're listening to The LodgeCast, the podcast about leadership, business, life, and growth with me, your host, George Andriopoulos. It's like food for your ears. Hey, hey, everybody. It's The Launch Dad. Welcome to The LodgeCast Reboots. You are looking at a couple of months of what we're calling the reboot series leading up to season two. So today, episode 140 is entitled, I Am Not Your Ordinary Guy. This is a reboot of our very first episode with our first guest ever, Mike Del Judas. This thing set the tone for what the launch cast was going to be. Uh, We got into such a heavy discussion of not only life and music with Mike, who of course is a background vocalist and guitarist for Billy Joel and his band, but he's a solo artist in his own right, an incredible solo artist, one of my favorites. And we got into a conversation about life, about music and business, but we got into a heavy conversation about leadership. And that was so, so cool to see in this first episode. And it helped to shape what this show was going to turn into. Now, I listened to this back as I was editing this and uh, it's rough, man. Uh, On my part, this was my first episode ever. I was Uh, a newbie at this, just learning the art of podcasting, uh, learning my podcasting voice, learning how to get professional and deep on that microphone, get my bass out. And I had a lot of ums and uhs. And somehow, I think it's because I was talking to Mike, who was a fellow Long Islander, but my Long Island accent really came out. Not like it's not there in my other episodes, but man, was it heavy in this episode. But this was a blast. This was one of our longest episodes to date. I think the only other one that was longer was the Carol Silva episodes, which we cut into two episodes. But we have music performances by Mike. We have some amazing conversations, you know, during the the interview where we got into uh, life and Mike's story coming up and really how... His journey has led him to the leadership moment that he's in right now. And so I didn't really cut much from this episode. We dressed it up a little bit. And we're rebooting again. Episode 101 is being rebooted as episode 140. I am not your ordinary guy. I hope you guys can hear my baby screaming in the background. That's little Joanna. She's trying to be part of this show. Uh... Enjoy this episode, guys. It was an amazing one, and we'll see you next week. At this time, I'm going to ask that you fasten your seatbelts. Launch sequence. Launch sequence activated. Launch sequence activated. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the launch cast. What's happening, everybody? I love this song. My name is George Andriopoulos. I am the launch dad himself, bringing you this incredible podcast. We're talking leadership. We're talking life. We're talking business. We're talking growth. And we're talking about it all with 
my guest today, Mr. Mike Del Judas. What's happening, Mike? How you doing, brother? Thank you, my Good friend. Thank you. you for being here. I am so excited. So I want to talk for a minute just about the show uh, since it's our, our first episode here. I'm so excited to do this, guys. Uh, this is something that I've been working towards for a while. Uh, those who know me know about my work that I've been doing. I do a lot of leadership work, a lot of community work, and uh, kind of came from a place uh, where I wasn't really uh, a fan of the person I was years ago. And, uh, and all these years later, all this work I've done on myself brought me to this place where uh, I think I'm in a position to, to sort of bring leaders out, right? Talk to people that are, that are in need of guidance and, and in need of leadership and sort of give them the tools to kind of get out there. That's what I do with my business. Uh, that's what I do with my leadership masterclass that I do. And so this podcast is going to be about speaking to people that I consider leaders, Somebody like you. Um, you don't get out much. I don't get out much. Speaking to people who I consider leaders and really talking about uh, those spark moments that, that you realize that leadership was here, right? Uh, how you balance that leadership in your life and, uh, and the story behind it, right? Yeah. So thank you for being here again, man. Oh, it's I'm, my I'm so, I, I appreciate so you asking me. Man. Yeah, man. Oh, dude. So I'm going to do, uh, do a brief little intro on my guest here. So Mike Del Judas. A brilliant vocalist and composer and a master of several instruments, he is the author of two albums, My Street and My Favorite, which is Miller Place. Uh, and several of his new songs are under favorite consideration for film soundtracks and TV soundtracks, including the one that did make it, Mike's song Ordinary Guy, which is, was the theme song for Kevin James' sitcom Kevin Can Wait. After 18 years of playing Billy Joel's music in his band Big Shot, Mike Del Judas now lives his dream come true as a background vocalist and guitarist for the one and only Billy Joel, one of my favorites. Mike tours with Billy all over the country and abroad in major arenas and stadiums, including every month at the iconic Madison Square Garden where you were last night, right? Last night. How was that, dude? It was fun last night. Last yeah. night was off the rails a little bit, but yeah. it, was, it was fun. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> Great show. So, all right. I want to jump in. All right. First question, man, uh, since this is about leadership, are you a leader? I don't think, I don't think I'm a good leader. Why? I, I, I think uh, I'm soft. I'm a little mush. You know, uh, I tend, to, I tend to, to give the benefit of the doubt a lot. I think to be a good leader, from what I've seen from outside, at least to, at least to have a, a hugely successful business, I think you have to be a little bit able to confront and to whatever and I'm a Pisces I'm more of a guy that's like I won't say anything to you until I have to strangle you <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> so that's more where I that's more where I come from um I don't know I don't I don't I don't view myself as that um but I, I wish I had better skills that you know for that at times I'll look back and in retrospect and go I probably should have said that there and it would have avoided this or avoided that you seem like a guy that's like you know not only you the beginning phase but you that you implement also you know, yeah, and, there, I, and there are people that aren't implement. I have great ideas, and they usually are gone by 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and you're the per kind of person that seems like you implement the stuff that you think about. Which I, is I appreciate that, but I'll tell you, I'm as much of a fucking disaster <laughs> as anybody good. out there. I dude. thought I was the only fucking mess. I right make it look it. good on this camera, but as soon as I leave this camera, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a disaster. All no, right, good. Uh, all you're right. talking about all these traits that you talked about are what make you human. They don't make you not a leader to me, right? right. Uh, they make you human, which to me makes you a better leader, right? So what's if you think those are the flaws that don't make you a leader, what's your definition of a leader? Uh, I, th I think it would be somebody that um, – good question. So you've trapped me now. 
Because I think That's what, what I do. Yeah, I, th- I think I think honestly, if if you're going toward leadership in a different, uh, if you're looking at it from a different angle, you know, you th- we think leadership, and right away we think of you know structure and, and this and that. I'm more the kind of person that I'm just going to sit back and and not say as much, and and I would want, I would I think a great leader is somebody that can um, have a great sense of what other people want first and what, what they need first. Because I think it, if you have people like I have my band under me and guys that I, that I employ all, all the time, and I think what I've learned over the years is that it's about learning from, you know, it's almost an example, learning from an example kind of thing. And you want to make sure that um, my thing is always being, I want a leader that's nice. I don't want somebody talking down to me. Right. I don't want somebody looking at me and, going, and pointing a finger and getting any kind of, you know, a good leader knows how to, like a good a good shepherd knows how to just move the sheep so delicately, yeah. you know, and so whatever, and does that by example and does that by love and also does that by sometimes having to be a little firm, but never the firmness never gets to a point where you're actually looking at the person and going, now you're a dick. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's yeah, being for sure. Able, it's being able to really take in everybody around you and go, okay, like kind of like Sonny said in uh, the Bronx, I don't give too, I don't give too much, <laughs> I don't give too. You want, I think that makes that's a, what makes a great leader, you know? Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They give you a good amount so you stay, but you don't get too much so you whatever. I think that made sense. That yeah. was a good line and, in that movie. And yeah. thank you for opening the car door for me earlier too. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. I reached. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me tell you that those traits are are so key in leadership. Um, you know, that community, right? Bringing the people in around you and making them part of the team and lifting them up. Yes. That, to me, is what is what makes a leader. There's an interesting um, there's an interesting lyric in one of your songs, Ordinary Guy, which we mentioned. So the lyric is, I'm just like those ordinary hey, people. Hey, shut up out there. <laughs> yeah, the right. lyric is, I'm just like those ordinary people. Live from check to check just to get by. I don't need no bling to breathe. Got two cents, that's fine for me. I am not your ordinary guy. So you're saying here in this lyric that you are one of the ordinary people, but you're not an ordinary guy. So to me, that's a leader, right? And I'm trying to get deep with your lyrics here, but that's a leader because it's somebody that considers themselves a part of that community, like you were saying. Absolutely, yeah. But you know what? Like, There's something special where you have like that responsibility to kind of get out there and be that leader. I'm glad that's what the song said to you. And, uh, Tell me what you really meant. <laughs> no, uh, re- really, what it was about—it's—it's it's, it, the song was written as like a kind of like a a sarcastic uh, response to the view that you know the stereotypical musician gets, which is just you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, and you know they must be messes, and you know they must be, and they must be cheaters, they must be this. You know, are you kidding me? That used to always drive me crazy when people would say that. I'm like. Really? Because I don't ever find myself even opening my eyes long enough to look right. at anybody, to right, want right, to even right. be with anybody, to, <laughs> or to want to do something stupid, you know what I mean? I've been married enough, I've had enough <laughs> situations, I don't think I need any more in my life. There we go, samesies. Yeah, 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 you know what I mean? So it's like, all right, I think, I think I'm good there. Uh, but, uh, so, you know, that's... Uh, the song right. was more written as like a response to people that just stereotype musicians. And, you know, it was it was that really. And it was also somebody that was around me and I'll never bring up names, but somebody that I really wrote that part about. There's a, there's a certain uh, line in the bridge that I in the bridge. I'm actually talking to somebody specific. OK, the bridge is the only part that it goes to me talking about somebody. OK, or to somebody about something. Um, and they'll never know who, who they are <laughs> ever. I'll never divulge. Love it. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's let's take it back a little bit. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do this sort of Howard Stern style. 
without yeah. the nudity, right? So you grew up in Miller Place, New York, North Shore of Long Island. Your parents, Fred and Josie, they live paycheck to paycheck just to get, and I read this, to get ravi- ravioli or pork and beans on the table for you. Is that true? At times. You yeah. know, no, we, we ate good. Don't get me wrong. We yeah. ate good, but there were times where, you know, we were a, we were a middle class, lower to middle class family. We, we, we got by. Right. You know, my, my parents, we never wanted for anything. Right. You know, we always had. Right. Whether, whether it was like, you know, a couple of weeks of Pop-Tarts and, you know what I mean? It didn't matter. It was just, but we always had our Chinese night during the week. They made sure that we had pizza on them one night. And we always had that sense of like, that no matter what, we were going to be okay. We sure. were not starving ever. Sure. You know, I don't want to portray that. But at the same token, I mean, yeah, compared to... But hard workers. Hard workers. Right? Yeah. And they showed absolutely. you that. Absolutely. Right? You absolutely. and uh, two brothers, right? Yeah, my brother Joe, my brother John. Yeah, my yeah. brother Joe is uh, in Jersey now and John is, John's on the island. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, some adversity when you were younger, right? Uh, you had a congenital kidney condition when you were a child that required seven surgeries? It required a lot of surgeries. I don't know the exact amount, but I will say that it was probably having, they probably revisited the same areas many times that I had. Uh, I was born with a, basically it was just a, it was, it seemed like it was a, I'm pretty sure it was a defect of, of um, the ureters, you know, the tubes that go from the kidneys to the bladder. Yep. They just weren't connected to the bladder. So, and the valves that were at the top of the bladder that open up and close to let yeah. urine in and put it back out were backward or they weren't there. So, so they had to I, was, I was just septic. Yeah. I was just septic. I was born septic. So I wow. came out and I was yellow. I was just, you know, so I had to go through, they had to get me stabilized from that first. So I don't know what they did, but they, whatever happened over a series of, of a few years from what I, from what I, uh, what is that sound? That's, uh, that's all the comments coming in. It's oh, okay. That's good, 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 good. That's good. No, that's okay. Yep. As long as I, as long as I, yeah. yeah. Um, so there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of adversity for my for my parents. You know, my, my my parents will still talk to me about the amount of frightening scares they had, and you know, with me and how close I was at times to maybe not, you know, not getting there and not making it. Sure. Uh, you know, I lost function of the left kidney, so I had bags, you know, nephrostomy bags out of my side. You know, I would, I would pull them out. I I would get seizures. I would get high fevers and seizures. They would have to rush me to the hospital. I mean, it was. Um, Definitely, uh, you know, and I know now as a parent where I've gone through, I can understand, you know, now what what they definitely went through with a sick with a sick child. But yeah. no, I was not I was not a healthy baby. I yeah. was I was born unhealthy. So your parents really went through the ringer. Oh yeah, they you. went through the ringer. Yeah, yeah, they definitely did. Yeah. So you've talked about your mom a lot. Uh, you've spoken about your mom growing up, who was the influence to the song Josie, right? Which I want to, if I can, I want to play a sure a little yeah. bit of it. Okay. So. Uh, I love this song. This is oh, this is you. one of my favorites, man. It's one of my favorites. Oh, thank you. We got you, Josie. Josie was born in a Long Island town. It's from a live performance. I was going to say, this doesn't sound like the album. Yeah. Forced into motherhood before her time. This a lyric Josie I want to talk about. <laughs> I think I know what it is. <laughs> right here. In the closet with her tiny tears. Listens to the sound of music coming up the stairs. And when she sits at home at night, she cries. Joe. It's heavy, dude. 
Yeah. That's heavy it's stuff. A, it's a really deep song. It yeah. definitely is. That's definitely. really heavy stuff. So talk about that a little bit. What kind of influence did did your mom have and your relationship with your mom have on your music? With with the music, I would, I would definitely say it was her influences, uh, what she listened to, and the fact that she also was not afraid to, you know, every once in a while belt out a concert for us at home and just start singing Streisand and, and go into a, a concert where she would, she would do, like, songs and just sing songs, belt them out with yep. the record on, you know. And I think that was, that was, it was, it was evident that musicality was something that could have been in my parents a lot more if they, if, you know, that generation was very rigid, you know, very rigid generation. So everything was like, you got to do things the way it's supposed to be done. And I think that both my parents, had they gone a different route, would have been able to have way more musical uh, and artistic and theatrical, whatever, you know, ways of, of releasing their, their stuff. And actually, you know, I think their lives themselves, especially my mother's life growing up, was something that I think kept her bound. And then by doing so, I think it's, it's my father's uh, shyness that might have kept him. As well as maybe my mother going, hey, if you're not going to pay the fucking rent, you're not playing a fucking bass guitar. You know, it could have been that too. Uh, but, I, you know, I think it was a little of everything in that regard. But, but both of their influences were heavy on me as far as what they listened to and how passionate they were when they listened to it. Right. My right. mother wouldn't just sing. She would just, she loved what she was listening to. Like Connie Francis on or, or, or Barbara Streisand and... Singing along with, I remember specifically, uh, Woman in the Moon from uh, um, Stars Born mm -hmm. and Evergreen, her classic song yep. on that. Yep. So there was that. And, and, um, and then, you know, I think that when it comes to my mom, that was like, I would say that that's the heaviest influences were just her passion for music and the fact that she uh, was supportive of my, my musical career, obviously. She was always, she never went against it and went, you know, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't, you know. My mother was always somebody that just let, we, let us grow sure. the way we grew. And we, we we'll fi they'll figure it out. You yeah. Know? They, weren't, they weren't so hands-on that they were doing this and making us do stuff. They right. were just kind of, you know. Let you do your thing. Let you do your thing. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. you know, really figure it out for yourself because, you know. They both they both dropped out of high school in tenth grade. My parents they had no choice. My mother, obviously, to take care of you know siblings and you know to do that at home when you have ten. She had ten kids in her in her family, you know, and she was the oldest oldest girl. Wow, not the oldest boy, but the oldest girl. That's yeah, a lot of pressure. There was a lot of pressure, and, and school just you know didn't fit into the play. And for my father, it was the opposite. My father just had no patience. He hated school. You know, sure. uh, he wasn't a. I don't think he was, he's like me in a lot of ways. I don't think he was a person, a regimented person that just could be told, be here at 640, show up at whatever. That the, we're both the kind of people that are like, you tell us to do something, and we're like, fuck you, I'm not doing anything. I'll come when I want to come. But, um, you know, I think that's the, uh, the dance between the two um, in that regard. That's the dance and, and then some of his music... Uh, influences. I read somewhere that he was so diverse with what he listened to. He listened to Billy, Chicago, Black Sabbath. Is that true? Uh, my father listens to everything. Yeah. Yeah, my brother was the Black Sabbath guy, so that got me a little mixed okay. up. But that's not to say that right now my father won't go and listen sure. and watch a, a Black Sabbath. He, he's, he's, he just appreciated music. And I saw that in the diversity. It was like we had these – he had he had the old Pinto. We had this this blue Pinto. And any car we had, but I remember he had this, specifically had this Pinto. And my father was a mechanic. He worked for uh, Island Transportation here on the island. Sure. And he was a mechanic for them. He fixed their trucks. Before he started driving for a living. 
But when he was a mechanic, you know, I mean, you know, uh, what was the original thing? I don't want to lose the uh, the original question. Diversity but, in Black Sabbath, Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So he uh, he had he had these he had eight tracks, and and I this, the two specific uh, eight tracks that I remember were Chicago's Greatest Hits and Elton John's first album. So just the picture of Elton, it just said Elton John. Sure. Okay. So it was that and that, and then there was a million other things around that. You know, then you had you know. You're Jim Croce, and you. My father listened to a lot of country too. He listened to country music too. I wasn't a country fan. When he listened to that shit, when I, I would be like, "Shut that shit off." <laughs> but he also loved doo-wop. Okay, so I love doo-wops because we would we would go out to Valley Stream every once in a while, see my great grandmother out there. We called our grandma Stonehouse, and uh, <laughs> the women inherently in my family outlive every fucking man in my family. They kill them all. They kill them all. So. Uh, the grandfather had already died like 30 years before. She was still going, <laughs> you know, like roller skates, you know. But, um, and, you know, going out to going out to Valley Street, my dad would put on doo-wops a lot in the car, you know. And then we'd have fun moments. You know, I was a kid. I was young. But we'd have the fun moments of the, of the uh, you know, the Dutch ovens in the car, <laughs> which were always the funnest thing for me because I was always the, the worst. Cause yeah. I, because getting my father to start cursing out loud before he even knew like sure. in other words yeah look like i would fart like maybe five seconds before i wouldn't even tell anybody and i'd be cracking up in the back just waiting for the for the uh you know for the whatever and all of a sudden my father would just go you motherfucker <laughs> and roll down the fucking window you know and you know he'd be like son of a bitch and you know like and i just you know we used to get a kick out of it but all the all the all the while while doing that whole thing it was like you know farting to the oldies man it was incredible so you know that was fun man those are you know he he listened to a lot of different stuff my dad i mean you know and he loves and appreciates classic rock like like nobody's business so to go from country, if you can go to country to classic rock and even appreciate, you know, he loves it all. Well, so, I'll yeah, come yeah. back to that in a second. Yep. But f- fun fact in all my research, and I did some good research oh, on boy. you. I watched an interview where you talked about any given morning. You knew it was a good day if your mother was walking down the hallway farting. Yes. Right? Yes. 100%. 100%. <laughs> um, like, I, you know, like the song says, which we'll, we'll, which we'll turn back to about exactly why I wrote it. But, you know. Being that my mother had the child that she had, she was a rather rigid mom, you know, like she was just, but not because she wanted to be, she was just still carrying so much, I think, of her, of what she grew up with that she parented, they all, we all parent the best we can. We're sure. given what we're given. Sometimes we suck at it in certain ways and sometimes we're good at it. We do, we do the best we can, right? So, yeah. you know, it was that, but yeah, that, you know, it was either, you know, to be honest, in my, in my house, it was either slamming cabinets or farting down the hallway. <laughs> there was only two different. There was only two methods for my mother. My mother was mad. You knew about it. Yeah. But if she was happy, you knew about it. Yeah. And those days were special days because you were like, oh, good, mom's happy. It's a good day because you just want her to be happy. Yeah. Not because oh my God, save me. Although that that could have come into play too. <laughs> but it was more like you know you just wanted to see your mother happy. When sure. she was happy, nothing. It was nothing better. Everybody, you could tell everyone in the house, all the boys. You know, we would all be happy. Yeah. And we'd all be like, all right. It's, it's almost like ride the light. It's a good day. Let's, yeah. yeah, let's ride yeah. this. You know, let's ride it and go. So, but yeah, she would, she'd get up and I'd be in the other room, be quiet, and I just it was like a helicopter down the hallway, like, <laughs> down the hallway, you know. And I would, I would immediately wake up because I'd be, and, and then you'd, and then of course pancakes, you know, ensued after that. You yeah, got, you got pancakes and you got a good breakfast just for for dealing with it. My mother was was never the shy one. Let's just say that. 
Adam Mark, uh, so so we got some comments here. I want to just jump into them for one sure. second before we come back. So Mark Cordon said, "That's my litmus. If mom is walking down the hall dropping bombs." <laughs> You ain't kidding. Uh, Chris Chris Hannigan says Mike's brother likes Manilo. Uh, That's yeah, Joe. We'll get to Joey. Yeah, That's Chris Bates, one. silent and violent. <laughs> violent. As a kid, yeah. Oh my God, I can't uh, fall anymore. I'm 48. Nothing comes out anymore. These people are gross. <laughs> I see some song requests. I don't know if it's going to be that kind of night, but yeah. we'll see. But speaking of songs, so um, I just I want to talk for one second about just the the diversity in your music so what drew me to you right and and we'll kind of get into as we kind of go down your story when i came in as a fan personally um but what drew me to your music is not that not just that you were a billy joel cover artist right because to me that's what that's what attracted me to your music initially just because i i love billy right absolutely it's the it's the soundtrack to my life as a long island guy you know it right And and we'll get to that but then I heard some of your original stuff, and I was, like, blown away. And when I hear a song, like, my, one of my favorite songs of yours is Holy Water, right? Holy Water is so different than a lot of your songs because I hear so many influences. Like, I hear, like, a Josie, and that could be a Billy song, right? That could right. easily be a Billy song. Right. I hear Holy Water could be Soundgarden. It could be Foo Fighters, right? Right. I right. love it. Yeah. I love it. It's it's so different. And like when you're listening to an album and you sit down and you actually, because I was always a big, like I never bought singles. I bought CDs always and when I was too. younger. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. And I started it at track one and I'd finish at track 12. Yes. And I, and I wanted to learn the B-sides because I didn't want to be like everybody else. Yeah. I didn't want to. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll, good. Good I'll for you. I'll learn that anyway. song, but I want, I want the B-sides, right? Yeah. So Holy Water, I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, holy shit, this is a killer song. Killer. Thank you. Is that something you could do here or? That, that's more. Uh, uh, that's yeah, not a, a guitar yeah, thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, could, I don't I could, have that queued up. Okay, but, I can. Uh, I mean, I can play a verse or something of it. Of well, it but it's it's yeah, it's more of a piano. Yeah, it's kind piano. Of, yeah. yeah, it was yeah, gospel, we'll share, gospel, almost gospel oriented. And that's yeah. yeah. We'll share. Uh, we're gonna share a link to that in the uh, in the live later on. Um, more comments. Look at that. Great originals. I, I think so too. Thank Great you. originals. Holy Water is one of my favorites. Marianne Stone. Thank you, Marianne. Killer song. Killer. Um, so we're talking about music now, right? So you pretty much taught yourself to be a musician, right? You were sort of self-taught. To yeah, agree, pretty right? much all self-taught, all except, self-taught. Except, except from the beginning. I started playing, drum, drums was the first instrument I actually took a lesson on. Uh, Billy Dwyer, who was a big influence in my early years to, to even want to play music. He was my neighbor. I lived across the street. He was best friends with my brother, John. And he had a band. And uh, they would play in the basement all the time. And I... And I would go by their basement window. That's that's what got me into, you know, I would just sit by the basement window and watch them play Rush and Zeppelin and Bowie and all kinds of different stuff. They played everything, Sex Pistols, yeah. you know, back then. And they jammed there all the time. And I was just this little, you know, I don't know how old I was, probably nine-year-old pain in the ass. Yeah. You know what I mean? By the window, can I come in, can I come in kind of thing, you know, and watch, you know. Sooner or later, they let me in to watch, and I was able to go and watch the rehearsals. But I used to watch them from the window, and across the street from them, we had Fat John. That's what we called them. It wasn't. A, it wasn't an insult. It was. A, it was a. It was a house that was um, wasn't kept well. Yeah, yeah. Let's just say on the block, it wasn't the it was smelly outside. If you went inside, you you fall over probably. Right, right, right. But Big John, man, he had a band and he played downstairs. He was a drummer also, just like Billy across the street. Yep. And he used to sing too when he played drums. I'd never seen that. And at that time, I was nine years old, or eight years old, or whatever, and I was like. And he would do he would do the immigrant song, 
You know, freaking just belt it out. I'm like, and I would just sit there in awe, but you couldn't stay near the house long enough because you die, you fall over. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, so between between them, them and Billy across the street, Dwyer, and Billy Dwyer was my first drum teacher. So okay. that was the first instrument I actually learned how to read. It's the only instrument I learned how to really read on. Right. To read, you know. So it went from that and then, uh, you know, guitar. Guitar came right after I realized I probably was going to need an instrument to sing with. Sure, sure. Know, to write. And... So taught so yourself. You had, a, you had a little neighborhood band, right? I read that. And mm-hmm. you entered a talent show in sixth grade. And no, we no no not entered. We had we had the school. It was the school talent school show. talent show. Uh, Laddie De, uh, Laddie Decker Elementary School Miller Place. Uh, it was back in the gosh, I don't know whatever the years were back then, uh, early eighties probably or whatever, uh, and or maybe less than that. And me and the, I had this I, this guy that lived on the next street next to me. His name was Dennis Capella, and I you know me and Dennis just became good friends because our families we would play uh we play baseball yep we had two places we would go on the block and we would go play games it would be the capella clowns versus the del judas dicks <laughs> all right so we had names for each other and that was the that was the whatever and dennis was like oh i love rush i love Rush." And we would talk about rush and different you know different bands i was a big rush fan like serious rush fan once i started pick, i picked up the guitar and bass even before that just from listening to them and that's what that's what inspired this sixth grade thing so I had a guitar at that point. My brother John had actually got me a guitar, Westone Raider. It was like the Z-looking guitar with like, you know, whatever. Yep. Crystals, that kind of thing. Uh, so that electric guitar. And my dad had bought me a 12-string Alvarez, so I had that ready to go. That was like probably my, one of my first acoustics was the 12-string Alvarez. And, uh, but that was a bitch to tune. So, uh, But we, you know, I got into Rush, and, and the drummer never played on a real drum set. He only played on garbage cans. So I went over to his house to rehearse. I show up with my my little stage twenty five amp, which I still have. <laughs> uh, it was up in the it was up in the attic in my brother's house, and uh, with a little MXR yellow MXR distortion box, that old classic distortion box from MXR. And I learned I learned playing a lot on my own. That was that was all me listening, sitting to records, and and figuring it out. And sure. back then, I was probably a better solo player maybe than I even am now. More of an acoustic sure, sure. rhythm player than I am. You know, I walked away from that a lot. Um, but that was it. Rush was it for me. Exit stage left. I mean, I mean, I would just, I'd have the, uh, you know, the vacuum stand when I was even younger than that and just a make-believe microphone and just playing air guitar and just rocking out to, yep. to that stuff. So Tom Sawyer was like my favorite tune at the time. So we did Tom Sawyer at the sixth grade talent show. Practiced, he practiced it on the, uh, on a, the freaking, uh, the cans. Literally, he had four different cans set up. He practiced it on. We practiced on that, and the first time he ever played on a drum set was live in front of the whole school. Wow! So it was me, my friend Mike Ponticelli. A real drum set, though. Real drum set. First time on a real drum set. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I mean, we sucked. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm not gonna lie to you. you, you, You're playing Russian sixth grade. You're definitely not playing the right chords at times. You're not playing. Yeah. You're fucking up. Yeah. You know what I mean? But. Considering he never played, Not bad, right? he practiced enough in his mind to be able to sit down sure. and know what he wanted to do, at least. And, you know, and uh, my friend Mike Monticelli, that was his last gig. He was one of my best friends growing up, and uh, he got stage fright, I think. And he was and that like, was it. I can't do this. He froze like a deer in the headlights, and then after that. But, uh, but you didn't suck so bad because somehow after that, you wound up scamming your principal into letting you perform at field day, right? Is that true? Yeah, yeah, we did. We did. It wasn't a, it really wasn't a scam. I did go I did go to his office and I said, 
I said, look, can we do a, can we do a con- it was his idea to do field day. Okay. I'm pretty sure from what I can remember. And I just went in there and I said, look, you know, because I, I just got a taste of the audience and I got a taste of, you know, what playing live could be. And I, I just walked in and I said, look, I love this. And I was, you know, and he just said, he said, well, look, as long as you behave, as long as you don't screw up, he goes, I'll tell you what. He goes, on field day, what if we do something on field day out on the grass? And, you know, and I was like, yes. You know, yeah. it was like, because I had asked him, I said, I want to do a concert for the school. What, what can I do kind of thing? And he, and he, he suggested field day. And field day became, uh, for the people in my class anyway, 89, I don't think anybody will forget that. Right. Because it's never happened before. Right. So I would say <laughs> we were out on the grass, which is me with a guitar, uh, Dennis Capello playing drums, and, and of course Billy Dwyer helping us out. Right. You know, like doing sound and mixing for us across the street. So that the guy that influenced crazy. me, you know, yeah, really. That must was, have been crazy. Yeah, it was great. Because yeah. every every Long Island sixth grader has had field day. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, all right. So, moved to high school. I read somewhere that you did landscaping, like your older brother, for a while. My brother has a landscaping company. Still does. Um, little plug for you, John. Express Lawn Service. Express Lawn Service. This yeah. podcast brought to you by Express, by Express Lawn Service. Yeah, you get free <laughs> advertising because I'm on the fucking show. Otherwise, you get shit. You got to pay for it. Uh, so. Um, you know, he, he had that, so I would work with him, yeah, throughout, you know, through the later high school years, I was working with John. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, on and off, point, on and off, by the way, because I was, you know, I didn't like doing it. Were you say. still, were you like gigging at bars during that time? Um, probably around the same time, yeah. I'd started doing piano bar around 17, I think. Yeah, it was probably around 17, my high school, uh, senior, senior year, beginning okay. of the senior year, because I only made it through half that year. So Got it. Got it. It started around then. So... That at that point, this is when music becomes serious to you, right? Absolutely, it was. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. So I read somewhere. I, I actually watched uh, an interview. You were on the Today Show in 2014, and you were asked, "Can you put in words what music means to you?" You said, "It's the story of my life growing up. It means everything to me." Yeah, yeah. Um, I can relate to that, man, because for me, um, you know, listening the the reason I'm enamored by your music, by Billy's music, Aerosmith, you know, all these. All these bands that I love, um, they tell a story, right? Yes. The, the the music that really engages you, it seems to sort of tell that story of your life. You take that song, and uh, you know, I, I I even remember like seventh grade breaking up with the girlfriend that I went out with for three right. And what's days. amazing is what is what's amazing is it's the imprints at moments, yes. at special moments. I don't think it's the music that creates those moments. I think we go through crazy moments in our life, and whatever happens to be on in the radio. At that moment that we're going through something, whatever music we hear at that moment attaches itself attaches. To, to the moment. And you'll always remember that moment and you'll always remember that song and, yeah. and get that feeling again when you yeah. listen to it. As horrible as the song it's might ho- be it could, doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't I remember, matter what it is. Yeah. I remember staring at my seventh grade window. I went out with this girl for like two days, maybe, maybe. And she <laughs> broke up with me over the phone. We never even kissed or anything. I was heartbroken, right? And I'm staring out the min- the window at like 10 o'clock at night, and I swear comes on by All for One, Har- horrific oh, song. Yeah. Oh. And I'm like at the top of my lungs, belting <laughs> this out <laughs> in my parents' Love house. Sticks. And my father and my father comes in, opens the door. George, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> yeah, that's great. So here's where it gets heavy. So by around the year 2000, right? You're, you're trying to be a musician. You are a musician. You're trying to do this professionally to make a living. Um, you had kids at the time, at that point, right? By 2000? Oh, yeah. You yeah. Had kids at that time. Yeah. So by around the year 2000, you were living in a trailer in your friend Willie's backyard with your young children, right? Yes. So you almost gave up, from what I read, 
And then you heard about the success of a local Dave Matthews cover band is yes. what I read, right? Yes. And that was that Ants Marching? Yep. So yep. now this is where I started following you, right? Because this right. is now 97, I graduated high school by, you know, There's a huge, there is, there is a huge uh, spiritual and musical chapter that you, that you, Talk I, to I me. Don't, I don't tell I me. I don't touch on a lot, but it, it was it was from fourteen to like twenty two. That was really what I did with music at that point. Was I was singing all gospel music. I was in a youth group. I had. I don't really talk about the experience a lot because it's just something that um, I guess you know whatever. It's very sensitive. But let's just say I went through something pretty crazy at like fourteen years old, and it it uh, it got me it got me looking into religion real hard. You know something like that where I really. Uh, I needed needed rescuing from a certain situation. Okay. It wasn't it wasn't drugs. It wasn't you know nothing like that. But let's just say I had a I had a little bit of a eerie spiritual experience in my house. Okay. Growing up. Okay. And once that happened, that really changed. That was probably the most life life changing moment ever for me. And I still say that to today. It's still the most life changing. I went on for about six months. Okay. And there was some kind of. Uh, shit going on so so yeah, yeah so we don't else. have to touch on what that is but this is something <laughs> that i wanted to talk about is yeah. um something i talk about in leadership and and i talk about this man not because i'm some kind of professional in leadership right i own a consulting firm and a marketing agency and i'm trying to do this uh half for fun and have to kind of promote some of the stuff i'm doing but okay. um i took this journey too right where uh, I sort of got to a certain place in my life where everything fell apart. I thought everything was great, and then within months, days, everything's falling apart, and I kind of had to start over, right? I was at rock bottom, no drugs, nothing like that. I'm at rock bottom, wifeless, empty house, no job, mm. and I kind of had to rebuild, right? How many times did you do that? <laughs> Once. Uh, and right. I'm not trying to beat your record. No, no, no. <laughs> So I just want so, to see how broken you really were. <laughs> I'm like, all right, is he, all right I, he's broken enough. He's dude, broken enough. I was broken, man. Yeah. I was broken. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, it was the first time in my life. I, I'm, I'm always, I've always been the kind of guy where um, I'm, I'm that glasses half full kind of guy. I'm going to go out and get after it. I'm going to fix that problem. It's the first time in my life where I, I, I think I understood depression a little bit. Like I understood what that meant. Yeah. I, you know, I felt very just... Uh, Felt very alone, although I wasn't 100% alone. I just, I felt very alone because I put myself in this place. And so there was a certain point where I had a moment where I was just like, you need to pick yourself up and get the fuck up off the floor mm -hmm. because this isn't how your life's going to go, right? This isn't your story. And so for me, that's something I call the spark moment. So yeah. these spark moments I've had throughout my life and, and especially the last like nine or 10 years of my life, I kind of realized like, Hey, if, if you can be cognizant of these moments, if you can actually see one and grasp it and go, yeah, this is right now, this is a pivotal moment. Absolutely. Something's about to fucking happen because of this moment. Let's go, you know, let's, let's grasp it. And that's why I, I drive my wife crazy because anytime some kind of opportunity comes up, I take it and right. she's my biggest supporter with it. But I am this podcast thing, yeah, this yeah, yeah. thing right here. Yeah. This was three weeks ago. This was a conference room. You know, right, right now this is and it was like a, it was a thought, and now a it's badass podcast well, studio. If I could say so you, myself, because you implement, yes, see, that's the yes. difference. All right, yeah, all right, so that's, what I I that's what I meant. That's what I meant. 
you get a great idea, you get it done. Yeah. Me, I get a great idea. I got to delegate it to the five people that, you know, have to take care of it or help because I, I you know, I'll just, it always ends up dying as a great idea. Yeah. You know? And so, and so those spark moments, I promised myself that I was, I would always take advantage of those moments because I never know where they're going to lead me. Even if it's a bad place, it's like, all right, you know what? We're, we're going to do this. We're going to fail together. But if we mm. succeed, we're all going to succeed together because I took advantage of this moment. So it's amazing to hear that even though you went through that that tough time, there was that spark moment there that took you in a different direction, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and the death of the death of Doug Segmar was a huge thing in my yeah. life. Talk that, hap- that. that happened in 96, um, 95, actually, uh, August. And, you know, it was the most insane experience because I got to record a whole album with Doug. You know, Doug is, for anybody that doesn't know, Doug was uh, Billy Joel's bass player uh, most of his career up until, you know, up until that time, a little couple of years before that. Um, and it was a gospel record. It was, it was a gospel album that I was trying to go mainstream with. But I still hadn't gotten there, you know, as a writer. Yeah. And Doug, Doug was, you know, and, uh, Big Shot, if you really want to know, Big Shot actually started with me, Doug Stegmeyer, and a drummer, Phil Weiss. Um, I said to Doug one day, I said, Why don't we, I said, would you go out and play Billy Tunes? You know, if, you know whatever. It was just a thought. This was three, five years before Big Shot actually started. And I attribute the idea to whatever, but when I look back at that moment, we were starting that project before Doug passed. Doug ended up passing away. And we started, we did a rehearsal or two at, at Doug's studio. Um, and Doug always said, he goes, I always said I wouldn't play the music again unless it was really done, done whatever. And, yeah. you know, and he was an amazing uh, musician, an amazing bass player. Um, and so I think that was the first time that the bug happened. But the, the album that I recorded with him was Gospel. And then he passed right at the end of the, the album. And the album had, oh, trust me, we had a lot of, we had a rocky road getting that album done. A lot of it was because the record label I was involved in, um, and Doug, at some point, weren't really getting, he wasn't getting paid, I guess, on time from, from Doug. I mean, from the record, Doug wasn't getting paid from the record company the way he was supposed to. So we had meetings. Things went kind of bad. But Doug had moved from the house in Centerport to, uh, and built a whole new studio in Smithtown. So this whole process, we were, we were recording the album during this whole process. Yeah. It took three years to record this album. Because it took him a good year and a half to get the studio built in Smithtown. Sure. We did the first three songs demo in Centerport in his house, and it was just amazing. Yeah. The sound. And he's, he was such an amazing producer, and nobody knows that about him. But that guy could really produce. He, Is that where you did Victoria's song? Yes. Right. Yes. And Victoria's song was done there, uh, and that's, that was his favorite tune. Yeah. By far. He was like, that's your song on the album. That's your hit. He goes, we got to... And his, he did an interview one time, and I can't find the damn video, which sickens me. Or I have it, but it's destroyed because you know old videotapes get old yeah, yeah, and they yeah. don't play. Uh, but he did an interview on it, and he, I remember him saying, you know, the 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 hardest thing was to was to say, look, we already Billy's already Billy, Elton's already Elton. We know you can do those guys, but we got to get and you could do them when you do them. But when doing your songs, we got to get you to sound like Mike Del Judas. That was his main. Who's Mike Del Judas? Who? How are we going to get that? Because I was so heavily influenced by my influences at that time, especially gospel. My, I was really gospel influenced sure. at, at that point. Um, and there were so many different bands that I could point to in that, but, or artists, I should say, that I could point to. Um, but that ended up being a big part of it. And we, and we did a couple of rehearsals. And then when Doug, Doug actually passed away the day that my daughter was born. And I Oof. think, yeah, it was incredible. It was unbelievable. Because 
she had been born, or was the day before or the day after. Uh, I always say it's August, 20, uh, August 24th, because that's uh, my daughter's birthday. But it could have been the 25th, could have been the 23rd. But it was the, mo the morning that I was bringing, some, uh, bringing Victoria, my oldest daughter, to go meet her new daughter at the hospital. Um, and she had a, I'm a big, I remember, never forget, I was sitting at the dinner table and she had an I'm a big sister t-shirt on. And Phil Weiss, Phil Weiss called me, the drummer. And he, he just said, he goes, Mike, 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 Mike. And he goes, you're sitting, you're sitting. And he just said, you know, Doug's gone. Doug, Doug passed away. And I was, it just got, you know, you got to understand what it was for me working him at, with him at that point. He was the biggest thing to me because he was, you know, I knew who he played with for all those years, and I, and I heard what he could do on tape and, I, and, I, and from other bands he had started producing, and I was like, man, this is, this is just the perfect guy to work with. And I would still be working with him today. Wow. I can tell you right now. Wow. I'd still be working with him. And, um, and, you know, the album died with him. He died literally before it got released, and he, at that point, was unpaid by the record label. Okay, they didn't pay him. He actually called me. People always say, do you remember him showing any signs that he was, because he, he passed away, he committed suicide. And, um, and he was in the studio. It happened in the studio. It was tragic as wow. fuck, man. It was like, I, I wish I could describe the, the, the level of emotion at that time because it was so shocking that, uh, and what happened is Phil, Phil had gone, gone there to go record for a session and, you know, Doug was inside. You know, so they had to call the cops to open up the door and, but they, but but I mean, Doug, Doug, you have to understand something. He was such a positive musical force in my life. Sure. That, that was it for me. I was like, you know what? Maybe God's trying to tell me something. Maybe I got to take a break for a while and not. And those years were very weird. Ninety-five to not to two thousand were very weird. I played in Kid Gloves, this band on Long Island, for about a year and a half or so. But nothing dominated me musically. I really was so saddened and disheartened by his sure. death. And the fact that the album never even got put out, it's, and nobody wanted, I don't think anybody wanted to, Doug certainly didn't want it to go out. Right. He was clear, wow. about, he was clear about that because, you know, it, he, was, he was a perfectionist. Yeah, sure. And he wasn't going to put this thing out unless, unless everything was, was solid, yep. he was paid, everything was done, and, you know, and it ended up getting locked up in his estate, so it just never got out. And then wow. I finally, it, you know, a couple of years ago, five years ago, I met up with the Stegmaier family, and we talked, and we... You know, there were things after all these years and misconceptions and, and stuff that had happened about his death. And for a lot of years, people were saying, oh, my project was the one that killed him. Oh. And meanwhile, meanwhile I'm, oh. I'm, yeah, I'm not kidding. You know, it came back to me that way that people thought like, oh, it was a, it was a negative thing. You know, not, a, not, from, not from Doug's part to sure. me. We sure. were, at, I remember the last conversations and the last things. We had a good, you know, but it was a misconception because it was so sudden when it happened that everybody was just grasping for reasons. Sure. Grasping for... And me, I was just devastated. I had no money. I was a kid. Yeah. You know, I was young still. I had no money. I had no nothing. I was relying on the same record label he was to, to get money. So we oh, were man. both. You know, he, had call, he had called me a couple weeks before and just said, you know, hey, do you, you, know, you think you can squeeze some out? And I said, I, they're not even squeeze me, you know, kind of thing. And it was a couple weeks later that it happened. And I found out that morning, like I said, and that was the most bittersweet day of my life, I think, because, you know, I had, I had birth and death all in the same in the same day and it wow. was uh there went my to me there went my original music career yeah that's what it felt like to me so i was away from it for a while after yeah so that. you kind of really had to hurt. find it again yeah it yeah really hurt. yeah wow so 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 when you found it again um so it's around uh around the time where ants marching is out here local dave matthews cover band which was huge on long island at the time we used to go out in college mulcahy's wherever yeah you know 
wherever they were playing and watch them. It was, uh, I remember once Big Shot came into the mix uh, and you guys were out there, our routine was always Big Shot, Ants Marching, and Nerds. Yeah, right? Nerds, yeah. They were the three bands that were everywhere on Long Island. Yeah. And no matter where they were, we were just, we were out there. Where we, I had seen you guys in my college years, I, I don't even know how many times. Crazy. Okay. Wow. It was like a groupie, but I never, I never approached you. Oh. Right then. <laughs> oh, I so, but over the course of that time, as that happened, you built a good business, man. You spent, you sent us, you spent a solid, what, almost 15 years oh, building yeah. that thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so talk about it from a, from a business standpoint for a decade and a half. What was that strategy? Since we talk leadership and business here, what was that strategy over the course of a decade and a half? to build this thing? How did you know that, or once you knew it had legs, what was the strategy to kind of grow it? You know what, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a day by day kind of guy, so I can't say that I had anything particularly in mind. I started the band and I went to, uh, I had the idea to do the band and I, and I went to a, a, an old friend that I had, Gene Hendrickson, he's from that, uh, the, now he's in the, the Van Halen cover band, uh, completely unchained. And I had went to him and I, and. You know, at first he didn't even he he wasn't interested in, in, in actually doing it, but I let him know that I was going to do it. And, you know, no matter what, I was going to do it. And then he decided, all right, well, we'll get on board. And and then we we kind of you know we started we did our first gig at uh, the Village Pub, and it was Chef, right? and it was packed. Yeah. You know, and a lot of that had to do with with the with you know. Gene was really good with promotion. Gene was good at like pushing and pushing, but sometimes, you know, too far, but he push, push, push. <laughs> but he got, you know, we got that room full, you know, we, you know, and it started that way. So I can't say that Big Shot suffered the same uh, ills as other bands that didn't, whatever. We, we right off the bat were, were pretty successful because of why? Billy Joel. Billy Joel. That's it. Yeah. So all these people are getting their, their, their heads all in a fucking cloud over, you know, I'm this, I'm that, I'm going to go do It's Billy Joel. It's the brand. That's Billy Joel's brand. Big Shot, yeah, has it become a brand now? It has, but still, without Billy Joel, there's no Big Shot. Yeah. You got it? And, so we'll, and we'll get to it. You okay. you actually, later on, uh, after you became a member of Billy's band, you thanked him for, for all the years of allowing you to do that, and he thanked you for keeping his music alive on the island, that right? That was the exact conversation. Yep, I said it first. He, he, he responded with that. Yeah. That's two good guys, man. That's two good guys. We, right we there. both didn't even want to look yeah. at each other. We're like, yeah. oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm not crying. You're crying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I want to say the natives are getting restless here. You want right. to play yeah, a little something? Yeah, yeah sure. sure. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you have anything you want to? Uh, oh, dude, I'll take anything. <laughs> I want to hear. Uh, why don't you do your uh, your new one? Yeah. You want to so, do that? Yeah. Talk so, about it. So I have a. Uh, this new song that I've been, uh, I haven't put out yet officially, but I've been playing it live on the Facebook, uh, live on the porch episodes. Uh, and the song, the song came across to me as like, a, uh, I wanted to tell a story. I wanted to tell a story about, I guess it's like generations. I was looking at generations and how generations go by. And in every generation, we have our heroes. We have people that we've looked up to. And all of a sudden, we get older and they fade a little bit. Now we are now the heroes to, to the next generation, to the under us, our kids or whoever, and we hope to not repeat, or we hope to repeat, the good and not repeat sure. the bad, and and how it's uh, kind of like a comparison, you know, when you look back and you could say, you know, where did the hero? The song is called "Where Do the Heroes Go?" and that's because I think we're always asking that. In my mind, I look back when I hear a song or I hear whatever, and I think of my father, or I thought of my brother, and I said, you know what? I'm just going to put it all into a song. And the main thing was to have a conversation with my with my son, 
my boys actually and then it narrowed down started out as for both and then I was like you know what I think this is going in this direction I'm going to speak to, to Colby who was my oldest son and it was a specific thing that was going on in his life and I was like you know what I'm going to I want to talk this because yeah. we grew up in a broken home we weren't always together we weren't you know there was a lot of uh, you know residual hurt sure residual fixing that had to be done and now we're together you know oddly enough with his mom but it you know it's it was odd and, and it was always that that sense of like you know am i what am i to him you know how does he view me yeah because he's my biggest challenge in that regard because we didn't live together right so it's like i wanted to be i always wanted to be his hero but at the same token i had my heroes and did they disappoint me you know like some of them you, f- you feel like some may may have or may not at different times in your life but they're just being human yeah sure they're just living their own life trying to fucking survive sure you know and trying to breathe every day so i had this idea to just to, to write something to my like almost like a letter to my son and to talk to him and to, to let him know you know what i've gone through in my life and to learn from my life lessons and then me actually talking to him at times also and uh kind of like a cats in the cradle sure you know kind sure. of uh vibe but uh it's called where the heroes go love it Hey there, son, let me talk to you Let me tell you things I don't need to teach you May it take some time, please bear with me Maybe when I tell you, then you'd understand me A little more Hey there, Daddy, you remember too Patty's Day Parade, Tyler Avenue Rocking on your shoulders to the sound of drums Nearly seven years old, but every ounce your son Where do the good ones go? the heroes go and hey there Johnny you remember too we'd be playing with a ball till the sun came through but when you got older then you went your way Johnny nothing lasts forever but the things we say the good ones go Where do the heroes go Hey there Joey Guess I never thanked you When Johnny went away There was always you All of those years You were all I had People grow different, Joe, you understand I'm thinking about Superfly, Joe Where do the heroes go? Hey there, son, let's get back to you.
go. That's what happens. So I get choked up on this part. It's a little, it's a tough one. This one. I'm talking to him. Hey there, son. Let's get back to you. Tried to forget it, but the hurt so strong. Yeah, I can't do this part. I'm sorry. Where do the heroes go? as I could of that. I'm sorry. That was just like... Wow, man. No, that part's just... Uh, yeah. Heavy. I apologize. No, <laughs> please don't apologize. Yeah. Wow, heavy. Unbelievable, yeah. Yeah, hair standing up, we hear here. Oh, unbelievable. This affects you, man. That's... Yeah. Uh, to me, that's a, it's a sign of somebody that's uh, it's passionate about what they do. And, and there's, there's nobody... Uh, that's going to be better at their job than somebody who really cares that much. You know what I mean? When yeah. you, when you put, uh, you put your all into it, when you leaders, man, they, they kind of, they, they take that, that story, they take that pain, they take that love, they take that joy and they kind of pour it all into that work. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's, 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 uh, that, that's a touch, that, that line, that verse, uh, is a touchy verse. It's a touchy subject. And I, I, I just can't seem to get through it a lot of times on that part. So, uh, yeah. you know, I go blank, kind of. And I, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for doing it, though. <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. Maybe I'll finish the song at the end of the episode when we're that's fine. at a different uh, place. That's fine. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, you know what I want to talk about, actually? So during that time, and this was kind of uh, a great connection of where I got to know Big Shot, um, you know, there was the, the local bars where, where you guys always perform local venues. Um, how crazy is it? To, to think back to those days where you were performing at Mulcahy's, right? And now you're, you perform there almost as like a residency, really, right? Like once a month, right? Aren't you there? Yeah, like we're the, we're, we've been there. We're like the house band, you should say. I guess you could say and for And the a stage is named after you, right? Yeah, that was, they did a... Uh, How crazy is that? I, well, it, hap it happened a lot of years ago, and it was a, it was a really nice gesture on the club's part. I've, yeah. known, I've known those guys a long time, uh, obviously since the days of Kid Gloves and... And, and stuff like that and doing different work with different bands there and solo work so yeah Mulcahy's has always been a, it's a special it's a special place yeah so, you know yeah. yeah so you're doing your thing and then October of 2013 this story's been told a hundred times so we don't have to go too deep into it because I'm more interested in your uh, your original stuff uh, and what you do out there but of course one of the biggest thing the biggest thing to ever happen to you professionally October 2013 you were invited um, to be at the Paramount for rehearsals, right? For Billy Joel's band. Yes. By uh, Tommy Burns, right? Didn't yeah. I, from, well, I, that's, how I, that's how I assumed it was in the beginning. So there are a lot of early interviews that you hear where I talk about it. But I think Tommy's clarified uh, to me now that it was Billy's idea. 
So uh, I guess Billy had it in his mind and, and just said, hey, you know, I think they, had, they were going to go, they were going to get Wade. Wade used to do it, I think, for them, you know, for each tour, uh, Wade Preston. And uh, Tommy had just said to me, would you be interested in doing it? You know, and I guess at that point I didn't realize why he was asking, but maybe my name had come up or something. And, and it turns out that Billy, B.R., and Tommy, Brian Ruggles and Tommy, uh, well, I guess conspired yeah, uh, to have me come down. And um, obviously I obliged. I was, I was yeah. know, very excited to. Uh, and so after a few days of that, it was sort of a whirlwind of you got approached uh, if, to see if you have a passport and you were invited to uh, perform with the band uh, internationally, right? Yeah, it was the day before. It was, the, it was a Monday night. Um, and it was the, the day before Billy was, was supposed to show up. We had started the rehearsals on the Sunday. And then he, was, he showed up on a Tuesday. I, we knew about it. And I guess as the days were creeping up, I was, I was you know, more and more unnerved. Yeah. And I wasn't in good voice, by the way. Um, at that time, I had a polyp, actually, in my throat, which is another scary moment to talk mm. about. But uh, I was, I was, we, were, we had rehearsed for a good two weeks with the band. And I had already come off of three or four Big Shot shows, and we went right from a Big Shot show up at Turning Stoke Casino to go right to the Paramount for me to start these rehearsals. So we did the Sunday. We did the full day Monday. Then Monday night I was at my house, and Brian Ruggles calls me. Uh, probably one of the first calls I had ever gotten from him. Mm -hmm. And I said, Brian, how are you? You know, he's good, good. He goes, uh... What did he say to me that night? He just said, "So we're gonna, you know, you're gonna do this. You know, we're gonna come. You know, you're gonna do the rehearsals. You excited? Whatever. Yeah, excited, excited." And then it, it was kind of like uh, the, you know, I'm trying to think exactly the order, but it was like the day I had gotten to to the to the Paramount that morning, there was a frenzy, and apparently it was it was obvious that something was already being spoken about, and I, and it was definitely not something I knew about. Mm -hmm. So I don't. I wish I really had all three of them in the room to just go, which one of you motherfuckers did this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I wish I could just do that, but I haven't been able to do that yet, and I'll probably get a different story from each of them because they're all so humble, and they're going to want to push it on the other person and be like, no, you did it, no, you did it. But I don't know what it was, but I just, one of, somebody came up to me and just asked the one question, do you know the songs on guitar? That was the question that made me, aside from the, from the passport thing, because somebody, because you were rehearsing on piano, right? Yeah, I was rehearsing you were on being piano. Billy. I had no idea what, yeah. what would even be the point of yeah. me being there. It's stupid. Yeah, yeah. Didn't make any sense. Yeah, I need already needs this guy to sound check. That's what I thought. I needs a guy to sound check and rehearse. And he doesn't like to rehearse. No, right. he, he like yeah. he he loves he loves the the feeling of you know like me in the like moment putting yeah. out putting out a, putting out something and singing something not even knowing if you're gonna whatever it's it's because you want to live in you want to get that excitement you feel and the more you play a song and the more you practice it. Sometimes that feeling goes away if you if you beat it to death sure. too much, and he uh, he was like that. So I thought maybe you know, hey, maybe that's what we're gonna do. You know, maybe we're gonna he's gonna get. But I didn't know. I mean, and then all of a sudden, the passport question. You have a passport, and I remember just thinking to myself, well, that's a good question. You know, like it's a good question to be asked. I guess that means I'm going. They want me to go to Europe. You know? Yeah. So immediately I was like, okay. And and when they asked me if I knew the guitar parts, it's. Uh, knew the songs on guitar. Uh, I already knew Tommy was. I already knew Tommy is the main guy. They didn't have a second guitar player. They didn't mm -hmm. need a fucking second guitar player. Well, that happened back in the eighties. Yeah. Since then, they haven't needed one. Right. Because Tommy is that guy. Right. Tommy just covers it all. Yeah. You know. You know. You didn't. It wasn't necessary. I didn't realize at that point I was being hired to sing more than I was to 
to play, I think. Sure. You know what I mean? So I didn't know. What, but at that point, I didn't know what the hell was going on yet at that moment. Right. So then I got asked about the passport, and I was like, wow, it's, uh, you know, I, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I immediately said, yes, I know the songs on guitar. Yeah. There was no way I was going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I don't care if I had to go. And what I did was I just, the, the beautiful thing about the way, the way I feel about God and the universe and that kind of stuff and the way things are lined up. I had never played Billy Joel songs on a, on a guitar until the summer before I got asked to do this. And we did a trio gig that, that whole summer yeah. at Free, in Freeport at Brocco's in Freeport. Me, Tommy Burns, Carmine on keyboard. I was just playing acoustic guitar with Tommy. And throughout that, I started singing the songs from the guitar a lot. And I was learning the tunes capoed and all kinds of acoustic. Just so happens sure. that I'm, I'm learning these songs on a capoed acoustic, different positions, different whatever, for the solo gig. Right. And now when I get asked... There was no lying really involved. It was like, no, I do know these songs on guitar. I don't know the actual guitar parts on electric or whatever, but I know, I know all the changes. I know all the whatever. And whatever you tell me to play, I'm going to play. Right. You know? So I immediately just said, absolutely, I know, I know, right. I know the stuff. So Billy came that afternoon for lunch. He showed up at lunch, which we knew he was going to show up at lunch, and it was a shit fest. I mean, everybody was there. You know, everybody knew, I guess, he was coming. So... Uh, when Billy walks in a room, it's it's, yeah. it's an exciting fucking moment. I don't care who you are, uh, and I was hiding. I was because I was just nervous. You know, I mean, I knew that stuff was going on. I knew stuff had been talked about. Obviously, I got asked. And right before Billy showed up, I had literally, I was literally in the in the back room at the Paramount working on the tunes that they had on the list for just for sure. when I when we walked out there. I knew sure. I was going out there to practice with them. Yep. And I was just, what's going on? Right. You know. And they put a microphone next to him, you know, like right on the stage. And I was like, oh, boy, you know. <laughs> so I walked out and I grabbed one of the, uh, the acoustic guitar and I just started messing around. I started playing Band on the Run. I uh, did the opening lick. And uh, I start singing the song and then, you know, he starts, uh, you know, I kind of open my eyes and he's wandering to the piano and he gets to the piano and he just starts harmonizing with me. And it was uh, it was pretty evident right in the moment that it was like, wow. Right. There was just a good tone thing. It was just a, we had similar tones. Yeah, you do. We almost create a dissonant. We almost create you this do. crazy, we almost created this crazy frequency issue because there were moments where it's very close. It's like he's just doubling, you know, it's like a doubling. And it's easy to, to, to sound like him more when I actually have, a, have him in my ears. Yeah. So I can, sure. I have him in one ear and I have me in the other. So it's real. That's the game is to really match his tone for the night, his cutoffs, his whatever. And at that point, that's what I started to realize in that first rehearsal that it was. I think this is what they're doing. I think they're trying to get me to you know. And at that moment, Andy uh, Sashan, bass player, Mark Rivera, they were not on that tour. Yeah. Because they had they were finishing up previous obligations. Uh huh. Because Billy had just come up with the idea, let's go on the road, but they yeah. had previous ob ob uh, you know, obligations. So and those two guys were big vocalists as far as harmonies and so if Billy was gonna go on a tour in Europe, it seemed like he we was he was gonna be stuck with just really background vocals from just Tommy and Crystal. Yeah. You really need the triad. Sure. You really need three. Yeah. Minimum, you know? Um, so we went out really bare-assed on that tour. And the triad between me, Crystal, and, and Tommy was absolutely insane. Well, that, that doubling 
of the voice. That was kind of the goal, right? The, yeah, the goal. The goal was to, the goal was to bring it back to the records. Like he was coming back yes. out. He wanted to make it sound like the records again. And there's so many parts in the '70s when you were recording, even in the '80s. I did it all the time. You just doubled yourself on certain parts. Yeah, two two unison notes together to make it fatter, Strengthen to make it, it to make right. it to make it stronger. And and I think he was going wanting to go back to the record to get more of a unique. You know, you know, grab that sound that that he had. You know, like, uh, and that's what we kind of did. And we, we, uh, you know, see you. See th- this. This hits the nail on the head with it because I- I've seen Billy at the Garden in this run. I don't, I don't know, maybe six, five, six, seven times. I, I don't even know. Um, and uh, you guys played seventy one last night, right? It was the seventy seventy first show. Seventy first show, which is incredible. <laughs> You've said, so there's a school of thought that this doubling of the voice is not not from you, but there's a school of thought saying like, hey, Billy's getting a little older, maybe we need to strengthen the voice. But you have said that he's better than ever now. Oh yeah, I've heard oh, you yeah, say yeah. that he's better he's, than ever. He's got, we've got the, the keys are you know we dropped a couple of keys for certain yeah. songs. It's no it's no it's no sure. secret. But what that did was just made a it makes a barit- it makes a baritone sound like yeah. a tenor. Yeah, you get it because even though we've dropped the songs, the songs are now at still at the top kind of of his range because he got older, and um, but there are days where like you know Alexa will come on the gig and we do New York State of Mind in the original key and he's singing it like. Like a bird. Yeah. He's a fucking she mental was there last case. Night, right? He's a mental case. She did he, a couple of songs. Yeah, last yeah, night? Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. he is. He really is a mental case. It's it's not and he's not I don't say that in a bad way. It's just like No, he, I get it. He has he just has this thing of like I can't I don't know. I can't do it, but he's still got to, it. Yeah. Even, or he doesn't want to even like go near it. Then all of a sudden yeah. he'll start singing like a Zeppelin tune on or something in, in, in soundcheck or yeah. something and you're like, <laughs> He's got the range. What the hell are you talking about? You know? He still got it, but he made life easier for himself. But he his his voice dropped, yes. But it got more full. Yeah. So now it's almost like Sinatra, where Sinatra could sing like a note for me that would be really low, but it's at the top of his range, and it, it sounds like he's belting it. And that's kind of what's happened with, yeah. with Billy dropping the keys. He's still at the top. He's reaching. He absolutely Which is. makes it sound big. Yeah. And then add the double of a young, of a younger sound of him. So I go for more, I'd say, of a... Of a seventies, eighties sounding Joel, more yep. of a upper in the up in the nose yep. and the head kind of thing, and you know, and that sound is perfect. And when you add that together, it's kind of like the Irishman, you know, with the with the computer graphic image. Oh, when dude. you add the young, I guess the young younger, trying to go for the younger tone with his natural big tone that he has now. Yeah, it adds youth to his voice in a sense at certain big parts, time. maybe. And, big time. You know, and I think that was the magic, and I think he heard it. It is like, the magic. Is, you know, I totally geek out over the stuff because it's. My 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 same compliment every time I go to that show is that it's as a fan, right? As an audience member, it's like listening to the album all over again. It's exactly like listening to the album, which for a fan is amazing, right? I've seen other bands where, and nothing against them, but like uh, Counting Crows, right? I they love want, Counting Crows. They want, he wanted this from the melody. Holy shit. Yeah, I wants. remember seeing him at Jones yeah. Beach with my wife. Yeah. I think they were opening for Maroon 5 or something like that or whatever. They were co- and uh, he does Round Here, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. Great tune, yeah. Dude, Not the fucking night. song lasted 21 minutes. And I was like, he's like sitting on the front of the stage. Round Here. Like on LCD, like just in a yeah. hole. He's rocking back and forth, having a seizure. And I'm like, It was um, like me before at the end of the I'm, song. Yeah. <laughs> just like, hey, oh, where'd it go? I don't know. You but know? it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it, it, there's something to be said about you know, listening to a performance that is almost identical to the album. And then when they take the little liberties and go, you know, you guys go into what, what, um, what songs do you do where you guys go into Zeppelin? 
uh, uh, rock and roll. Rock, uh, we yeah. go into rock and roll. So, for, yeah. You may be right. You may be right. 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 Yeah. That then you hear that stuff, and you're like, oh shit! Now I have a surprise. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I love that stuff. So, the Launchcast is sponsored today by the Leadership Experience, a coaching masterclass. Intentional, unconventional, thoughtful leadership from keynote speaker, CEO, nonprofit board member, and TEDx executive producer, George Andriopoulos. Hey, that's me. Guys, the music's getting louder and it's epic, which means this is something you shouldn't miss. Registration opens on December 15th and we are beginning January 15th. This music is so loud, that means it's amazing. Join us, theleadershipexp.com for details. You don't want to miss this. I want to give you two two quotes I heard, which are very cool to listen to. So September 29, 2002, there was an article in the New York Times by Barbara DeLatner about you. Oof. Billy Joel's quote, a friend called me and told me to listen to this band that was playing on local TV. And I said, that's me. They said, no, it's this band. And they were having a hard time convincing me it wasn't me. It was uncanny. 14 years later, October 18, 2016, Andy Green and Rolling Stone, Billy Joel says, I got a chat with Mike alone. I know you and your band are working a lot, but I would love for you to come out on the road with us in Europe. Can you imagine those two points 14 years apart? Can you, would you ever have oh, imagined no. that that would have happened? Hell no. Yeah. Never. Never. Especially he's... I would have never seen being in his... Like being with him in his band. I just... I mean, maybe from a... Because I was a bass player for a while, that if that if that position had ever opened up, I would go audition for that because that would be something I would have. I just never imagined the singing thing with him, yeah. or the it just didn't come into ever came into my mind, or uh, the guitar, or him them needing another guitar because, like I said, it was clearly covered. Yeah, you know, so yeah. So so this is what's cool. So um, same article, right? And and this is this is a great point. We were talking a little bit before about Long Island and kind of being from here. Um, Del Judas's connection to Joel went beyond loving his music. Both grew up in working class Long Island families and learned piano at young ages. Both also broke their noses playing sports, experienced major financial hardship, went bald, saw marriages collapse. I guess, says Mike, that we come from parallel, parallel universes. My thought, right, yeah. is that a guy that connects with your music connects with Billy music, just like tens of thousands of guys from Long Island and girls from Long Island. Right. There's more to that statement because when you're from New York, specifically Long Island, we're so drawn to your music and his music because they, those are our parallel universes too. Like we live those lives too. You know what I mean? Just gotcha. being from here, it's kind of like your experiences and Billy's, like they were sort of our experiences too. You know what I mean? That's kind of why you connect with that song. Okay. Like I remember writing an email uh, and we'll talk about this in, in a minute, but I remember writing an email to Tommy, uh, uh, Tom Cavalier, um, when we wanted you to play at our wedding. Now, I didn't know you yet at that point personally, and uh, I wrote this whole long contrived email about um, about the songs and how much I connect and yada yada, and I talked about how Brenda and Eddie, right, yeah. and scenes. I, I'm Eddie. Like, I, I lived that, man. We're all Eddie. Yeah. yeah. Like, that, that, that's why we connect to this music so much because the because the lyrics are so literal yeah they're so literal that it puts you in a place it takes yeah. you to a place and and yeah and I, yours are the same honestly like i listen to miller place and that could be a billy album totally not yeah. not comparing the artists it's just like a very early that one same very yeah early. yeah <laughs> very early yeah um before he before he yeah 
So we're you good on time? We're we're a little over. Yeah, I'm you good? good? Yeah, good. let's yeah, keep yeah, it yeah, going. Let's, let's keep go. it going. Yeah. Uh, just do a couple of yeah, take some of, uh, yeah. Going to see Billy first time in February. Look at Tom. Tommy sending emojis everywhere. Nice job, man. There you go. Tom. Squinting on his phone there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dennis Farrell, jelly equals jealous. What is your range? Oh, Tom, play Mona Lisa. Uh, yeah, man. We'll we'll play. We'll actually play that uh, a video. We'll simulcast that. Oh man, your fans are crazy, man. All right. Oh, they are. What are they saying? Like, oh, you can say it. Oh, until the end, somebody's asking for. Yeah, I'll do. I'll do that before. before yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Good. Absolutely. Um, August two thousand fifteen, you open for Billy at the Coliseum. Yeah. That must have been a sick moment. That was incredible. Kevin James is in the crowd, right? Mm-hmm. Kevin James came out that night to Miami twenty seventeen. Yes. He's a nut job. He's unbelievably <laughs> funny. Yeah. Crazy funny. That night, he was crazy funny that night. Yeah. So long story short, he winds up texting you uh, looking for a theme for his uh, then the new CBS show, Kevin Can Wait. You sent over Ordinary Guy. Yes. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada bing, bada boom. That's it. 15 minutes the, later, yeah. I got a text back saying, love it. Absolutely love it. Everybody loves it. Became the show's official theme. Unreal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I was so I was so glad that somebody finally asked me for to do anything. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, I, I was, you know, anybody on that level. And of course, you know, you're always going to jump at, at anything. But there was only one song in my mind. Actually, there was two. And I had a, uh, I'll do a little demonstration. Yeah. But originally, the song was written on guitar. It wasn't It wasn't on piano. We added the piano at the end, and there was a. Uh, it, was, it was supposed to be more of like a ZZ, you know. totally jazzes it up yeah the right? piano made it the real pop thing this would have made it more bluesy more whatever and we tried it, you know, I don't want no ordinary. and i was like you know what it needs it needs something behind behind the guitar or something and it ended up taking over the guitar there's acoustic guitar under it but the piano is like the main uh the main riff and then we we added the, the clicks yeah we added some finger snaps and whatever but the reason i was excited about that tune was because uh I thought it sucked. <laughs> and I really did. It was one of probably from start to finish, I'm saying it's, it's not a good song. You know what I mean? It's just not a radio, whatever. But it had fun parts. And for a sitcom or for a movie, all you need is a good part. Yeah. Okay, that's what I was thinking in sure. my head. So I, I knew that. Yeah. I heard that behind like the beginning of like rolling credits. I saw credits and I was like, this is the song. It, it's exactly this that. Is, this is what it needed, right? So I sent him that. And the lyrics too were very, they, they portrayed what he wanted to really portray as, you know, that. You know sure. what I mean? Like that this is, this is the image we're going for for my character on the show. And, and I think it worked. He, he said he first, he played it for the crew and then he played it for his wife. His wife, his wife it sold right there because yeah. his wife was like, that's the song. Yeah. You know, they, like, they, they really liked it. There was one other I was going to pitch, and it was uh, a song called uh, No Place Like Home. I thought that might have worked, too, which is uh, I got now I got Ordinary Guy stuck in my head. <laughs> I don't do any of these songs anymore. It's like home. You don't need... Yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's a, I, I'll get, I'll get okay. back to it. But yeah, yeah. If, when it, when it, when it jumps back into my mind, but it's like yeah, just jump right in. Ain't no place like home. 
again, it's a it's a word issue. I haven't sang it in a while, <laughs> but it's uh, you know it, it was it was definitely more of like that same kind of thing where it was like had some fun parts, and uh, it it didn't quite, but it didn't quite make it to the to the grade like Ordinary Guy did. Ordinary Guy in my head was like he's I think this is the one. Oh, that was it. It really felt like that was going to be it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that it's great. Oh yeah. You don't have to be heartbreak romancer. And your money make your cargo a little faster Fly an airplane or Uber to Rome oh. But there ain't no place like home And I thought that could have worked maybe for a, a catchy little chorus riff would have worked for a show like that too, but... This was the one. This was the one. For sure. Yeah, it was no Without doubt a doubt. It. it was no doubt about it. Without a doubt. Yeah. Um, Let's jump off music for a second. We'll we'll, we'll hop back. So you, you talked about fatherhood before. You got yeah. uh, emotional with uh, with the song you were singing. Um, so four kids. Yeah. Divorced a couple of times. Yes. Right. Um, Similar track record to Billy. We're close. It's uh, we're uh, we're both. Listen def- to me. Yeah. Don't try and break <laughs> any records. You hear me? <laughs> no records being broken. I'm done. No records, Audie. No records, Audie. <laughs> Talk about. Before and after the success, and and as far as being being a father, being a, a husband, being the man in your family, um, talk about being that leader in your family. What is what does that mean to you? I mean, you touched on it a little bit with that song. Um, I see, you know, uh, the the little bit that I I know you personally, and then watching all your lives and and your posts and everything like that. Your family's everything to you. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, your family's everything Absolutely. to you. Um, but but talk about how much it means to you to be a leader in your family? Well, it's such a, it's, you know, it, it's one thing to have a business and have guys under you, you as you would know, and to, and, to, and to make sure they're taken care of. And there's a sense of responsibility that obviously comes with running a business and running any kind of organization. But when it comes to your family, it's, it's a moral obligation that I think men are, it's just instinctive into parents and to, into men and women to just want to do, you want to do the best you can to, not not do all the things that your parents did to you in a in a way that pissed you off, but you want to take the good and you want to inject that into your children. You want to make sure that obviously they're making right decisions or obviously whatever. But it's 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 a role that I take so damn serious, you know, uh, with my family that maybe I'm too serious for my own good sometimes. That's because you always want better for your children than you want for yourself yeah there's that's just something that go that's inherent in every parent and you know you want better for them and a lot of times what that would mean in 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 some situations would be that well we should push them in the things that society says that we should push them in and we should whatever and i can tell you now that we are not that fucking family yeah yeah we're not the you gotta have you gotta go to school you gotta we're not that family we're about passion our family's about my i push my kids about passion yeah if you don't love what you're doing don't do it. Don't waste you, my time, my money. Don't waste yours, more importantly. You have to push what you know. What you, you know. know passion. I know passion. Yeah, and I, and I, know, I know how long it may take to get them there because it took me that long. Yeah. And that scares the shit out of me because I know a lot of things could go wrong, you know, like along yeah. the way. And things could, could go bad and they can go south. And as a parent, that's the one thing you're scared of the most. And, and, and that letting go aspect of your children. And that's what I've seen from them when they were younger. It was like I had more control you know, of what happened to them. Yeah. But as they get older, uh, you don't have that same control. 
Yeah. Now all of a sudden they're making their own decisions, their own choices that you might not have made for them or you might not have even wanted to push them in. And then you're caught in that, in that conundrum of support and love to what they're doing as opposed as a parent. And, you know, it's like, it's like the whole thing. How can God, people say, how can God be omniscient and know everything? Well, it's pretty easy. He's in a fucking helicopter and he sees every goddamn thing that I can't see. That's how he's good at everything. Yeah. He sees it all from a different perspective. Yeah. We as parents see the same thing. We see it. Like we've been there already. We've done it. Oh, don't do that. You know, we're always looking to fix and whatever. But the truth is, would we be who we are if we didn't fucking fall over that chair or if we didn't screw up or if we didn't whatever? So it's, 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 I think it's finding the fine line between allowing fuck-ups and what I've always said is I allow my children to do to live and learn their own mistakes until I'm there to catch them. Yeah. Because it's inherent that I'm going to have to. Yes. At some point, they're going to fuck up yeah. like I did. And they're going to think that their idea is the greatest thing in the world when they're younger. And all of a sudden, it's going to cause them something that might... And I'm just there to go, ah, no. That's it. Nope. Here you go. Back up. Try again. I'll tell you something. My, my, my daughter, I have two, two little ones. My daughter's 11. My son's nine. Same thing. You know, divorced home. Um, very young, though. Right. Yeah. So I was able to figure my shit out at when they were very, very young and, and become the father that I always knew I could be. Right. Yeah. And so my son is the clone of his mother. Right. He's got a big heart. He's he's a uh, um, very easygoing kid. My daughter is my clone. Right. She's yeah. my clone. Yeah. She could be very difficult. She's a smart, smart kid. She could be very difficult. Um and so she's at, she's at that age now where she's going through some stuff every once in a while. And she'll push back. She'll push back. And my line to her is always like, you could push as hard as you want. I'm never, ever giving up on you. I'm right here. Yeah. We are all right here for you. Keep pushing. Yep. Don't worry. I'm yep. not going anywhere. Yeah. You, know? you talked about the falls, right? Do you share those falls with them, your falls? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm in, I'm in agreement. Oh yeah, because if they because because they're looking to us, we're, we're we're the it's it's the whole God complex thing. Whereas you know it happens to people that are in churches. I know I went through the church, and it's like you view your pastor, but you you view your pastor almost as if you view your parents, right? Everything is channeled through how you grew up and how you were raised, and we often compare. Uh, wrongly we compare our parents to we we equate them to them to God. So yeah. what they must think is how God must think, right? Sure. And it's a similar thing, and that's what I don't, I never want to happen with my children. I don't want them to ever think that I'm lording anything over them or making them whatever. But at the same token, there are times as a parent where you gotta, gotta be firm. Yeah. You gotta be whatever. It's riding that, it's riding that train. It's yeah. A, it's a, you know, it's a fine line there. With that. I think, I think as a, as a leader in the family, right? I, I look at uh, the leadership in my life in, in three different aspects, right? One is at home, one is at work, and one's in my community. All very important to me. Um, and we'll talk about later when those kind of all came together. Um, but at home, the, the route I took is that I went through some shit, man. I went through the mud mm. um, for a long time, self-inflicted. And so I share that all with them because yes, you have to. I want yeah. them to know uh, the dad, dad was never perfect. Cause you know, sometimes, you know, when you're a certain age, you look at your dad and you're like, and, that, and that's, and that's, guy, and that's, right? that's what I was kind of getting at there was, is, is that you, you got to give them an example of humanity. Yes. You can't just think that you can't just, they can't just look at you like a hero. Cause what happens? Where do the heroes go? Yeah. That's what happens. You get it? Yeah. All of a sudden, where the fuck is my hero? And the reason you have that hero is because your expectation was too high, yeah. but we don't have to set the expectation too high with our children. If we're just honest with them. 
because that's what they really need the most. They're looking to you for everything. They're looking to you for every answer, for yeah. every whatever. And if you could teach them how to fail, not tell them how to fail. Yeah. They're going to fail anyway yeah. at times, and that's how they learn. But if you could teach them that that's okay, that's part of the process. Yeah. If you don't fail, you don't get up the next step. You yep. never get up the next step if you're not willing to fail. you got to be willing to fuck up. Yep. It's, you know. Completely agreed. Yeah. Completely agreed. Um, yeah, that's heavy, man. It, it, it makes me very emotional talking about that stuff because I've become such a mush at this point with anything to do with my kids. Are you going to forget what you're saying to now? Is that where we're saying, going? Yeah, yeah. Get the beer out. I'm going to smack you through now. <laughs> you're gonna say, you should have slapped me in the head when I was about to cry. <laughs> Just, you know. Um, so, so last night we talked about it. Last night was number 71. I have been fortunate enough to see you do this many times. Um, but you have your moment during every Madison Square Garden concert with Billy where you perform Nessa and Dorma. <laughs> it's so huge, man. I tell you right now, my wife melts. Stay away. My <laughs> wife melts every time she sees you perform that song. Uh, she's, a, she's a pianist herself, and she, she loves that type of music and sound. Um, but Did you say she's a penis herself? She's a penis, yes. Oh. <laughs> How do you pianist. talk about your wife like that, you fucking <laughs> sick maniac? <laughs> Um, I actually I want to play I want to play a clip of this because this is it's it's so powerful uh, and then we'll talk about it for a second. So we have this here. Uh, we don't have it. This isn't as smooth as uh, some other shows, man. But it's not too. Oh, shabby. Are you kidding me? It not should not be. Shabby. It should not be smooth, and it should not be shabby. Here we go. Mm. <laughs> Nella tua frestanza Guardi le stelle Che tremano d'amore E di speranza Ma il mio Alba vincerò 
vincerò vincerò it's terrifying to watch it's terrifying it's powerful man it's powerful. It's it's, it's one of my favorite moments of, of every one of those shows. Thank you. Um, I looked at you ever. I'm, first of all, how did you learn that song? Is that something you just? Yeah, I, I saw Michael Bolton doing on Oprah Winfrey. Uh, That's what started me off, and I was like, "Wow, a pop singer doing an opera song!" And I was like, "Popera," you know, which made sense to me. Sure. Because what I never liked about opera was the rigidity. Rigidity. You know, yeah. it was it was just fucking rigid. Everything had to be like two, yeah. everything. No, yeah. no dynamics. Pavarotti was one of the first ones to me that introduced a lot of dynamics into like, he would do that bar, split, yeah, 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 yeah. and go into a big. Which isn't typical. Not typical, right. Most of the guys would go, splendid, yeah. you know, like, yeah, 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 it was yeah, like come yeah. on already, you know, you're blowing your load all over the fucking <laughs> song, you know, so I, I think it was, I, I like the popper approach because you get to you get to have your own voice in it too. Yeah. It could be me and then all of a sudden when I need to go opera, I'll go on the bigger notes, the money notes. Yeah. But not on the not on the, the stuff that's needs to also sound sweet and sound sure. And so I, I think that's why I always fell short in opera was I was like I can only handle about ten minutes of listening to it before the fat lady sings and it's all over. <laughs> Crazy lyrics on this. I actually I ran these through a through a translator. No it's, sleep. Do you know no what that? No sleep. No sleep. Nobody shall sleep. Nobody no shall sleep. sleep. Yada yada. My secret. It sounds like me. It sounds. Me. It sounds like me at home. No sleep. Yeah. No sleep. <laughs> no sleep till Brooklyn. <laughs> and then vanish on night at the end. Set stars. Set stars. At dawn, I will win. I, I will, will win. win. I will win. That's crazy. Vincero, I will win. Yeah. It's crazy. a crazy. Let me tell you something. I don't. I don't think I've watched any song more or renditions of any more song on the internet than I ever did with with Des and Yeah. I was entrenched in it so i just said to myself you know what i haven't sang classical since high school let me, let me fuck around with it you know yeah. what i mean so i went to my studio it took me i'd say a good i had to really sing it for a good three weeks to get that muscle back that that operatic muscle sure you know it's easy to sing a a, a journey high c sure or a high b because you, it's a this. different kind of voice yeah you know but when you're doing opera and you got to do a high b or a high a or anything like that it's frightening, yeah. Because sure it's it all, it's all. You, you can't, you know. You psych yourself. There've been I'm nights sure I almost is. shit the bed, you know. <laughs> so, so another leadership question here: Is it strange? And th- th- this says a lot about you, I think. But is it a strange dynamic shift to be every other day of the year the guy, the front man by day, and then you go into that Billy Joel band alter ego once a month as a backup vocalist for one of your musical heroes? Is that fucking nuts for you? It you that's probably it's probably the best one of the best questions you could ask because it's it's definitely uh, it's puzzling. I don't know how to describe it. And people always say, you know, like, oh look, he's so humble. He goes back and he plays bonkeys. You have to understand something. They're two different gigs. Yeah. So that the, the Long Island me Mike gig is the only gig I really know. Yeah. This came along after. Yeah. I'm real good at working for people. I can, you know, I'm, I'm a good, I could be a good employee as long yeah. as you're not a prick and you're not talking <laughs> down to me and I'll slap you. But if you, you know what I mean? Like, but Billy's not like that and the situation is so different. So one day the responsibility is completely on me. Yeah. So people say, what gig is hard? I've had people ask me, what gig is harder or what gig is uh, my gig? Way harder. Yeah. And people go, how could you really? say that? You're only playing in front of a thousand as opposed to 50, you know, at a stadium. And I'm like, because 
It's not on my fucking shoulders. Yeah. All I got to do is show up and be there for the boss. You know what I mean? And yeah. do what I'm supposed to do. And it's different being the hired hand. Your responsibility gets limited down to just what you really need to do. Yep. And that's what you're there for. And, and, and from a boss's standpoint, that's what I want my guys there for. Yeah. I want my guys there just to do their job, smile, be happy you're there, Enjoy show everyone it. you're happy. Yep. And if you've got any problems and you're going to be a jerk, shut the fuck up and go home. You know, and I'm sure Billy feels the same way. He just wants support around him. So for me to play support act is a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And I'm doing it to somebody who is like, he's my musical father. Yeah. He's, and in a lot of ways, he is like my real father. Yeah. And I got to say that. And I think that that's what's gotten confusing to me was, oh, not confusing, but actually it was an affirming thing for me. You sure. know what I mean? It was like an affirmation of just like, wow, God has me around certain people or certain, you know, like for instance, I've been, ma- I've been married or I'm around a ton of Virgos, right? Why is it? You know? Yeah. What do we, what do we, whatever. And when I look at Billy and I look at, and, and I look at my father, they're both gentle people. Yeah. They're both not ever looking, they're non-confrontation, I don't want to fight, they don't want to argue, they're very peaceful until they, you can't, until you push, until you push, and, and I think that to me has been a, has been a huge thing, is I've also learned from Billy a lot, you know, that how, sure. he, how he handles things, and how he, and, but I also noticed that we're just naturally a lot alike in that way, is that we both don't want to be the bad guy, the bad boss, the bad, the overseeing, you know, belligerent, sure. you know, eh, talking down and condescending, and uh, and Billy's not like Billy's a he's just a gem to yeah. work for yeah so that's great in, 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 in finishing that it's just that to work for him is a joy it's and it's and to, to help and to be there and to be staring at him at moments in the night and having conversations in our brain yeah uh you Crazy. can imagine what the fuck that's like yeah. coming from where I come from. So yeah, no, it's, it's almost a, like the it's the, unbelievable. The ego's not even. The, it's not even that the ego goes away. The ego's not even there. It's not even there. It's not even there. never has been. It's a totally. He would never have connection. somebody like me in his band if his ego was there. I you understand that. it? I love that. Yeah. You got to surround yourself with with yeah. those kind of people, yeah. man. He's so a there's there's a. I want to get into Mona Lisa in a little bit, but leading up to Mona Lisa, there's a song, especially for the people that come to you in concert and watch your live from the porches, which. If you are not, by the way, if you're not a fan of, of Mike on social media, I'm going to throw that out there now. You have to follow Mike. I'm going to put all the links um, in the comments below after this is over and we share it. Um, you got to follow it. Mike does this thing every so often, and he's actually taking it to the stage a little bit too. He does his live from the porch where he he's uh, in parts unknown, living in a secluded, gorgeous house, right? And, uh, and he goes into a studio and he plays like a... Anywhere from like a two to five hour concert for all his fans <laughs> who, who are getting their money's worth because it's free. And uh, one song to me that's just right now, it's, it's linked to you in so many ways. Maybe it's just for me, but Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, right? Yeah. Um, man. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a moment that I had with you here. And I'm going I'm to paint the picture for, for the audience. So um, I... I was married uh, a year and a half ago. I got married to my wonderful wife, Colleen. And uh, I met Colleen because uh, I knew her sister before her. So the, the long and short of it is How that- How good did you know her? I, so we were- uh, Younger sister, <laughs> just no, stop it. <laughs> so I had to, come on, you walked into that one. Go ahead, all right. Colleen's, Colleen's <laughs> younger sister, much younger. Colleen's younger sister. Baby sister. I, baby sister. Baby sister. And and Colleen and their other sister, we all went to the same martial arts school together. 
um, you know, me as a hobby. So you could kick each other's ass if so anybody got out of each other's asses, right? That's awesome. So I met her sister Shannon there, uh, and it's a crazy day to be talking about this right now, but I met her sister Shannon there. Uh, I didn't know Colleen yet. A couple of years after I met her, we found out that Shannon had gotten sick. Um, and so she got uh-huh. sick. Uh, uh, myself and a few of our mutual friends, we started a nonprofit called Shannon's Fight to aid Shannon and people like Shannon, other kids like Shannon who were sick. Um, and so that relationship with Shannon brought me my relationship with Colleen. Um, and and, I, and we, now I feel like shit. And now you feel like shit. Thanks. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> and so, and so there goes my joke. And so she, and so uh, unfortunately, a couple of years after all this went down, we we lost Shannon a couple of years later to cancer. I'm sorry. Uh, thank you. Um, and so years later, Colleen and I get married, and we wanted to honor Shannon um, at our wedding. And the the first biggest honor for this was we had the privilege of having you and Big Shot perform at our wedding, which was probably one of the most unforgettable experiences of my life, man. You literally made it the the best wedding in the history of weddings, not just because we had this big name band, but because you saw it, man. You felt it. It was unbelievable. You look out in that audience. Yeah. And it was just love, man. It was. It was all it love. Was. Every single person in that room. And, and I want you to know, you did that. I will never forget that. I'll never forget it. You did that. And so I want to play a moment here. We wanted to honor, as I'm getting teary-eyed now, we wanted to honor uh, Shannon at the wedding uh, and have a special moment for her. Um, there was a song, Hallelujah, that after she passed away, that meant a lot to us. Uh, I made a video that played at her, her wake and funeral um, to that, and it just always jumped out at us, right? Mm. And so we, Shannon's favorite color was purple, so we turned all the lights down. We had the purple lights on in there. We, we made a, a purple drink called Purple Rain that we passed awesome. out to That's everybody, awesome. <laughs> and we great. had you play. So I actually want to I want to cue this up real quick. So oh, you have the video it. from the wedding? I do, oh, I do. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's great. It's a, it's a shitty quality because I of think – if I'm, on had, it, if I'm on it, if I'm on it, it's shitty. <laughs> I think I recorded <laughs> I this off of the TV, but here we go. So we, we want to thank everybody for coming. And we want to take a moment here to honor somebody who was not with us tonight. Uh, and something kind of made all this happen. So we want to take a moment to honor Shannon Sirks tonight. Um, so we want everybody to raise up your glass. We have the purple rain. We have the special drink we have for Shannon tonight. So everybody raise your glass with your toast. And Mike is going to do a special song that we wanted uh, for Shannon. So everybody raise your glass. Toast to Shannon. I'm only going to play a little bit of this because I want you to see Hallelujah, hallelujah. 
So say that, and we'll get to the, the Mona Lisa thing in a second, but um, this song for me, every time I hear you see it, so it, sing it, it's so special, not just because of that, but because of uh, you had that Miller Place uh, performance where you did it with your daughter too, yeah, which yeah. was huge. Oh, yeah. Do you want me to cue it up? or? Uh, sure, if you want. I mean, you know what? If you could do the studio version that we did on, on YouTube. That was uh, so that's the first you know song we ever the, recorded I'll together. Link, I'll put the link, link for that. I'll put the yeah. link up afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, yeah powerful man. Yeah. Really yeah. powerful. And she song. sings. She just sings the She's hell out good. of it. And I find myself singing her version of it now. So I don't even. I don't even know what the, the original version is. I just kind of do it the way I've heard her do it because she just has such a unique approach. She's good. To certain certain parts of it, you know. And and I and I gotta I gotta admit this. I kind of I regretted it, even though I don't, because we wanted. We, we we pictured it. We wanted your voice singing that at the wedding. Tommy actually asked us if we wanted to invite Samantha, Samantha to yeah, come yeah, to the wedding. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? We want Mike to do it. I would love to do it, but yeah, no, no, you know no, what no. I mean? I'm glad, I'm glad yeah. because it, you know what? It started me off singing it now. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't sing it before because uh, it was kind of like, hey, I'm so Sam's song, it, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm so happy. Um, so so that jumps us into, into Mona Lisa. Um, dude, probably, ugh, I keep saying this, one of my favorite songs, but... Mona Lisa was uh, one of our wedding songs. Um, the uh, the song, first of all, is incredible, I- incredible. I think one of the most powerful songs that that I've ever heard of yours. Thank um, you. And and the one where I go, yeah, man, if any of these is gonna be the monster hit, this is it, right? This yeah. is it. Um, I'll play a little bit of it, and and we'll talk about what, how this is actually a, a thing. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You are my sanctuary, my Mona Lisa You always had my heart, even when we were young You always ease my worry, with just one look I found So past the complication, it seems so easy We shared our old religion The walls are crumbling down There was no damn good reason For why we let love down I'm on your inside now You're in my lost now found You make me get so I'll never touch the ground Real song. I'll, I'll post a link to that um, as well on YouTube. And, and guys, you could actually just hop on Mike Del Judas's, uh YouTube channel. All of this is on there. All of it, except my wedding video. But if you want, you can put that on there too. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Such a, such a powerful song. One of the memories from... from our wedding that I'll never forget is 
you sang that and you said this to us afterwards is that it was like we were the only two people in the room. 100%. Man, we were so in there and then that 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 powerful that crescendo where you go you are my sanctuary, my Mona Lisa baby, you are my solitary. I can't I'll never forget my wife just singing that like screaming oh, it to my chills. face. You give me chills. Oh dude, I don't get chills from my own shit. Unbelievable. But you you're giving me them, so. But that that music video what oh, the fuck, man? man? Kevin James yeah. on your music video. Yeah. Who are you? How are you even here right now? I don't even understand why you're in my office. Well, I would be here anyway. You're a fucking sweet man. I'll Thank tell you, you that. My um, but the truth is, I think I, you know, I think we all know the industry has just changed. You know, like it's it's hard to it's hard to get that career as a singer songwriter anymore. A career, you know. But no, that song came. That that uh, video was. Um, that was all Kevin's. That was all Kevin's idea. I mean, I, I, what happened was we had come to the end of uh, Kevin can wait, right? We didn't know whether or not he was getting the next season, so there was downtime. And with Kevin, downtime is not something that uh, sure. he likes, and he loves it. But he, he gets creative in those moments, and he's one of the most spontaneous people when it comes to business. And he was trying to incorporate music into his live act, into his uh, stand-up act, thinking how he could do it comically. And whatever, but and I didn't seem to work in that because a lot of my stuff's just too damn serious and yep. it's just too damn whatever. So we were just sitting in his office, and and it, he, he literally had just he was just we were kind of just all sitting there going, oh, all right, well if we're not going to do the live thing, what can we do? And I remember just sitting there going, all right, I, I got one gun in the bullet right now. You know, it's a new one. It, I'm, it's fresh, so I'm going to perform it well for him because it's fresh for me. And it's one that I'm really proud of. And I was like, you know what? Let me... I go, Kevin, I got a song. Just listen to this. And he had his keyboard set up in the middle of the room. And there was a bunch of people from production and his production in there and whatever else. And I was sweating. I was like, oh, God, here we go. You know, so let me play this for him. So I just start doing the song. Uh, close as What I usually do, I close my eyes for about four minutes. And I got to the You Are My Sank, with the part you're talking about. And I got almost through that part when I finally opened my eyes and at that point Kevin was already pacing yeah and I mean pacing and I got done with the song and he just goes are you kidding me are you kidding me and he's on the phone within like five minutes calling a video crew we've got to make a video of that song we got to do a video of that song and it was just and it was the, the weather outside was snowing and he had all these ideas Perfect. in his head for it just couldn't have went but i mean i literally took the gamble and just sang it like that in the office and people from sony were there and you know people were coming he was like, listen to this song you had people coming in and out yeah. to hear you know but uh that 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 was the moment and and you know kevin's i'll tell you this man i so much time had passed in between shoots that i kind of thought at times maybe wasn't ever going to go anywhere or get done because he's busy you know and man, he's just a man of his word. And when he did it, he did it. He did a hundred percent. He did it a hundred. He hired a great video crew, a yeah. great producer, to come in and do it. He hired Tony from Dancing with the Stars to help him. Um, and I think what happened when? He, oh yeah, ready? So this yeah. is an interesting story. But it'll it'll be quick. But I got done with the song, and then we started talking about what should we do with it, right? And I know he was already got to make a video. We got to make a video. But he had scheduled Fallon. Fallon was coming up. Okay. He had that scheduled. All right. Now, I'm, you're going to look at the maybe one of the stupidest people on the planet right now. <laughs> okay. Or maybe smart in the future. We'll wait to see if that even pans out. <laughs> All right. But he 
was so excited about it. And this is how Kevin is in the moment. He's like, okay, get you on Fallon. We'll do it on Fallon. Yeah. Now, there was no video yet for me to, you know, like what you're looking at right now. It was just basically my, my, his, his idea and then my response. You yep. understand? Yep. So here I am now for 20 minutes talking him out of it. And I'm literally, and he's looking at me going, are you, like looking at me as if to say, you crazy? I'm, you could go on Fallon or whatever. But to me, at the time, it was hyped up. There was, he was the guest. Yeah. I wasn't the guest. Right. Which meant that somehow he would have to be, he, he would get involved in it live in some kind of, to me, I thought, at least in my head, in a comical way. This might be my first single, like that actually gets nationally released in a, in such a, forceful way yep and i just didn't want it to be satire yeah so my first thing because he and i was like well i just said to him I, I think the conversation was something like and it was uncomfortable for a few minutes but he's such a down-to-earth guy that he you know he uh you know he's a down-to-earth dude so there's no there's no doubt that he was gonna be sensitive to the situation but i said well if we do it on fallon though and you're the guest Yep. Like I'm not, be, I'm not the guest. I don't feel good about it. I don't feel right about it. Yep. Are you going to do some kind of comedy thing behind me, or are you going to be dancing with Fallon, or like, you know, I didn't know what what was go- he was going to do to make it part of his, you know, show or yep. his or his feet, you know, his his appearance. Um, so I kind of fought against that a little bit, and I went against the grain. And even with the video, I had said to him, I said, you know, he just took from that conversation, he took. Uh, my sentiment, which was just, let's keep this, I want to keep this serious because I think, you know, you're so used to doing like comedy roles, comedic roles that, you know, is it possible that we can make this like a, a, a literally like a serious music video and that, you, you know, and he, he, to, he totally looked like at first, he was like looking at me as if to say, this idiot's trying to talk me out of, you know, Trying to talk me out of doing this, uh, you know, Fallon. How, That's would, how would anybody talk me out of going on Jimmy <laughs> Fallon and playing? But to me, it wasn't ready yet. It was like a, it was like a turkey that looked great on the outside and just wasn't cooked yet. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Bite into it. it was I, I don't. I totally know. get it. I'm, uh, I'm kind of the same way with my work. When it's like, you yeah. know, when you're not ready for it, you're not ready for it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And, so. and and it ended up going where he ended up taking the video so seriously. Like he totally went from maybe not even agreeing with me at first or thinking, "What are you nuts?" to really embracing what I wanted from the video and he just delivered. It was like, you know, to see Kevin did, you know, like I said, he got Tony from dancing with the stars. He, uh, he, you know, he took it seriously. He yeah. really took it, to, you know, and he loves dance. Kevin, I know he does a lot of, you know, funny dance, interpretive dance. He does, but, but, he, <laughs> but, he, but he really appreciates and loves dance. I watch like, him on all the, uh, uh, all his social media posts. He's always doing some kind of crazy. Yeah. Dancing. Yeah. 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 Unbelievable. So, all right, we'll, uh, we're winding down here. I want to do a couple of things with you and then uh, offer you if you want to do uh, one last song. Sure. Totally up to you. Okay. Um, one question I have before we hop into the final things, right? Totally un- unrelated or related to music. Do you have ba- – what does balance mean to you? Uh, balance, balance means – I wouldn't know what balance means. I wish I, I wish do I you had. operate in the chaos and not the balance? Yes. Yes. But I, it works for you. Yes, it does. It yeah. does. Even though, even though I will reach the point of critical mass and I will explode at times in myself, even for myself and I'll get, or I'll get physically ill from carrying it all. Yep. Balance to me is making sure that everyone loves each other. Okay. Around me. That's strong. That's, that's the, str- to me, 
making sure that all of my kids and my family and that everyone is taken care of, that's balance. That's strong. And if I can do that, and if I can be a part of that, I'm really grateful to God for that because I came from a time when I didn't have money. I was like, I told you, living in a trailer most of yeah. my life. I didn't have, I didn't have much. I did, was doing piano bar gigs. So the fact that I'm able to even help my family in any way is a really huge part of the balance yeah. because I thought I think it was seesawed this way sure. for a long time. And money, not, not that money matters, but it does in certain ways because. You want to you want to be there for your family and you want to whatever and as you start to make money you help them more or you do more and you give more and you know what giving is it's addicting yeah. you know you give oh my god the feeling of giving is there's nothing better than the feeling of giving and if you're ever in a down spot in your life or you're ever in a bad shitty spot it's probably because you got selfish in some way or you took the eye off the ball you know every it could happen to anybody and at some points we have to always get back to other thinking of other people first right and I think it's that giving thing and it's that that balance of love and just making sure that everyone feels loved, nobody feels left out, nobody feels whatever, that that creates the right soup for me. That's the balance. But you do realize that people have free will and there's sometimes that you just cannot do anything about it. There's right. nothing you can do. Right. There are going to be blow-ups. There are going to be fights. There are going to be it's whatever. It's part of the journey. It's, part of, what? it's totally part of the right. journey. Yeah. yeah. But when you feel responsible... As a as a parent, or you're, uh, that's tough because then you're like, oh shit, what can I do? And a lot of times, sometimes there's nothing you can do. Yeah, but to pray for that and to to keep that would be the uh, balance for me. I yeah. found that that with leadership for me, and I, I always tie things back to leadership because it's kind of how I, um, how I equate myself as a man today, right? Compared to to who I used to be, somebody that just cared about himself, and so. You know, working on <laughs> working on leadership in my home life and in my work life and in my community separately was really important to kind of getting back to this person. Um, but then there was a point where I was running myself ragged, right? Like mm. it was like you had these personas, right? Like you're one person here, one person there. And then there was a point where I kind of realized that this authentic person that I had become, me. I was finally, I, I looked for Ooh, me, me, me. Thing. I, I looked for, it took me honestly almost 35 years to kind of go, oh, yeah, that's George, you know? Like that that's who that guy is. Right. You know, I wasn't right. trying to be no. somebody else, right? No, and that, no. when I brought that authentic leadership and that balance where every part of my life became a part of each other, right? Like I, I thought about my home life when I was at work. I thought about my work life when I was mm. at home. I always and how it all ties my, together. And how it all ties together. When I got that balance, dude, it was crazy. It was almost like fucking uh, uh, Luke Skywalker learning the Force, right? It was like, you're like, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, this is yeah, it. You're man. like in the Matrix dodging bullets. Oh, you're like, yeah. you know, yeah. you, you kind of like understand it. And then it opens you up for like all these different things. Like you talked about giving, right? I, I talked to somebody recently who talked a lot about being a servant leader. Mm. You could totally understand this because you're a really religious guy. You, you believe in your faith a lot. And so becoming somebody that always thinks about other people first in your leadership, yeah. it's a big deal. The The world needs people like that. So, you know, I commend you for, for being that person, you know, because the, the world needs that in every aspect. You know, I'm proud to be that person in, in the business world and in my community, but... You know, it's it's nice to know that there are people in yeah, the music if, world. Yeah, because if we're because if we're only building our building our own empires, uh, you know, that's selfish, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. That, 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 there's a that, there's got to be something in your soul that just stirs and goes no, and then and and you don't realize it until you start the giving process and start to to see the good it does or to see how people are affected, 
and it only makes you want to do that more. It makes you want to be that way more, and it's and it's it's just reciprocity. It's back and yes, you know what I'm saying. It's just that you know, and you're not going to get the full benefits of the reciprocity unless you literally live in that state. You have to live in the state to me of constant giving, because the minute you stop doing that, it's so easy to get back on a selfish, you know, me 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 me, and yeah. before you know it, man, you just Done. you're going down the shit. Done. Yeah. Just, yeah. Oh, man, I love this. This is so big. We're going to play a little, not a game. We're going to do something that I want to make a tradition here um, on the launch cast. We're going to do something called the Big Three. The Big Three from the launch cast. I'm going to call some stuff out. You're going to give me your top three. Okay. Off the top of your head. Okay. Right? Top three Billy Joel songs. Scenes from an Italian restaurant. Uh, Vienna, and I gotta really think. Two thousand years, Oof, my man! Yeah. Holy shit, we're right there. Yeah. Top three Mike Del Judas songs. Oh Jesus, I don't like me. Can we skip that? Can I, I tell you that I know that's your problem, and we like you. <laughs> we really like you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. But yeah, I. I, I mean, if there's ones that I could look back back and say that I'm that la- have lasted the longest of me wanting to play them, uh, probably until the end comes first. Um, it's just a little ditty, and it all came out in one shot. And mm-hmm. there's not a lot of songs that you write that all come out in one shot: lyrics and and melody and and you know chords. Uh, Mona Lisa for sure. Um, I don't know. That's that that that's tough. That's tough. Uh, I would have to really dig down deep. I have some oldest romantic would probably be one that would that seems to last. But again, I don't think of them. I don't think of them as radios. I think of Mona Lisa as a radio song. Yeah. I don't think of anything else as a radio song. I, I don't write for the radio. I don't write to be. I could if you give me a style and say write like this. I can give you a whole album of, of shit that sounds like popular radio. Yeah. I'm not look. I'm not looking to chase what's out there and been done already. Yeah. I just want to be me. Yeah. So to me, the only way to do that is I don't allow outside music to infiltrate my brain too much. I stay in my own head when I'm in a writing period, and I just let that happen. I let kind of originality happen. I hope it because my influences are already there. They're already in me. They're going to come through my music already. Yeah. So I don't like a lot of outside influence on top of what I already have. Yeah. You know. Um, but Mona Lisa was the first tune where I actually said, you know what? I think I need a commercial tune. I'll stop trying to be the, you know, the prolific writer kind of. Not try to be, but I'm. I, I need. A, I need a couple of catchy ones to jump out and be three minutes long and hit the radio and, and I and I can write those like, you know, not to say it in a in a cocky way, but when you already have a template laid out of what's on the radio and you listen to it a few times, you can go, yeah, all right. So I got It's like a formula. Yeah. A lot of these songs are formula, but uh, Mona Lisa was definitely more of like a. It was. I knew it was going to be a, a straight. I knew it was going to be a radio kind of song, and that's what I was going for. And I really wanted a Coldplay meets uh, Ben Folds Five version. So we went in bare assed. I brought I Chris Ma- Chris Marshak on the drums. You see, you'll see these guys uh, on the live video from the from the concert in, at the high school. Uh-huh. It's Chris Marshak on drums and John Predis on on cello. Yep. And Pat Falco on bass. Okay. That was it. We literally went in with us us four people i love it and we i wanted to make the piano and the vibe of the song to be um and the, the dynamics the build-ups yep 
to be everything. And in order to do that, you got to start really minimally. And then you add as you, you really got to add as you go and be careful. Um, and I think the only thing I overdubbed uh, was, was just a straight power chord guitar thing, which is buried too. It's not even loud in the mix. And then I added, we added, me and Jonathan did some background. Oh, yeah, we did that. We did that part. Um, but that was it, you know? And, uh, and I, really, I really thought that was like my, the mainstream tune. I had a tune on my, on my last record, on my street, One Step at a Time, which was a, uh, you know, it's, it's a nice wedding song. Yeah. You know, but it reminds me of divorce. So I really don't want to fucking talk about that song <laughs> or the person I wrote it for. So there you go. And I'm sure Billy's got a few of those. So, uh, you know, like, every, it's so funny. Every time Billy does a song live, he goes, and then we got divorced. That's like his classic. <laughs> that's his classic. And I just laugh. And, I, you know, last night he said something over the microphone, which is even funny. He goes, he goes, well, I got four. I've been, I've done it four times. I said, so have I. And he starts cracking up. <laughs> and he goes, but, but I, he goes, but I'm still with number four. So, you know, like that kind of, it was like that kind of thing, you know? So well, it still was, counts for you. still counts. You know, I, two, I recycle. Right? I recycle. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> So uh, yeah, so if that's that song was a good commercial tune too, but I think it was produced too too pop, too old school cheese with saxophone. There's no saxophones in music anymore. You know yeah. I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like production wise, it kind of it's it's back a little bit, but the uh, arrangement I enjoyed, and I you know th there's some good arrangements in that. So, yeah, it's uh, beautiful. Yeah. Um, big three, top three favorite places in the world to be. I'm not talking about vacation locales or anything. I'm talking okay. about being in a place anywhere. Top three. Together with all my children at once when all of them are in the same room. Um, I guess you could say in a creative state, being in a creative state for sure. And I want to say eating a hungry man egg sandwich from my cousin's yes, deli. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if that applies, but uh, I, I think, uh, you know, being with somebody you, you really love. Yeah. And I mean like legit love to the point where it's, it hurts you know, to not, not be there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And not only hurts not to be there, but a, lo a love that you'll that you'll be willing to sacrifice a lot of yourself for, even if it means, taking a toll yeah genuine love like my like i gotta say like my my, my mom and dad you asked before they, they they together or whatever still yeah. and i'll always say uh, i don't know if they should be but you know yeah. i joke around with them about it too uh, but the truth is there's there's something to be said about that kind of love where you know yes you're the you might be the craziest person or i might be the craziest person at times but we're not going anywhere yep. that kind of thing or at least we don't want to go anywhere you know what i mean yep uh, so I'll give you I'll give you that for the top three. Okay. I'm sure I, I would think of I would think of other things. And then well, three and a half is with the three X and sandwich. a half is with the, yeah with yeah. the X's. All right, yeah. top three accomplishments. Accomplishments. Um, being a dad. Um, I would say I would say being able to earn a living playing music. It was just a huge just that I, that I can do what I love and actually make a living at it and. I never dreamed it would turn into what it turned into, even with Big Shot, because Big Shot is a yeah. you know, it's a large portion of, of the income I make. People think. And let me say that. It. Yeah, it's, it's you a, were doing fine with Big Shot. Yeah, you yeah. were doing fine with Big Shot at that point. Yeah, which absolutely. That, that's a big deal, man. Absolutely, that's yeah. a big deal. And third would be, uh, third would be obviously Billy. I mean, musically, musically speaking, but it's it always starts with God and the family, 
You know what I mean? To me, they're tied in together as well. I one. love that you put that third. Yeah, yeah. I do love that. Yeah, yeah. Top three mistakes. Oh, let's see. Top three. Do I start at three or do I start at one? Surprise me. All right. I think top three mistakes would be... Nobody's oh. listening, by the way. Don't worry. Nobody's listening. Nobody's, Nobody's on? <laughs> no, I'm saying... You, oh, yeah, don't, be sh- don't be don't shy. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Uh, mistakes? I... I don't fucking believe in mistakes. I think mistakes are part of the process. It's hard to answer that kind of question. Because I can't think of too many mistakes. I make tons of mistakes. I'm a human. I make horrible mistakes. But I can't think of I can't think of many that, you know, didn't help me grow in some way. So they're hard to it's hard for me to look at anything in my life and go, man, I shouldn't have fucked up. And it goes back to what I teach my kids, which is just you gotta let them screw up. You got you gotta learn. You have to mess up. You, Mistakes, I would say, would be, um, I know this is disgusting, but not maybe not putting myself first at times. Because uh, I just don't, you know, and I'm not saying that to be in any kind of, uh, hum, you know, I'm, tr- I'm being in the most realistic way when I look at my life, is that I'm just always so worried and making sure that other people are okay in my life that I think sometimes I just kind of fall to the wayside and I think that I can't be good for them unless... I'm really good for me, you know what I, I mean? You, and I'm, I'm in a good place and I'm a whatever. Um, other mistakes, I would say I've made plenty of mistakes with, my, with, with being a parent. Um, we'll and include that as one. What's that? We'll include that as yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. And, I get and, that. But, those, but those, again, those are things that I needed to do to learn from myself. And there were also things that, you know, every kid needs something to say about their parents. <laughs> You That's know, right. there's got to be, it reaches that point of separation in the, in the teenage years uh, to the 20s where, you know, you remember as being a kid, you, yeah, your pa- parents didn't know anything at some point. They're all stupid, they're whatever, whatever. And then everything kind of comes full circle. Yep. I, I definitely wish that I would have made a couple of different decisions um, in that regard with my kids and maybe even who, you know, we can tie it into that to, I can't see, I can't tie my divorces into a mistake. I get it. Because my kids came from, from, from most of them, not the, not the last one. So that one I could say was a fucking number three. Not a, you're right, that's not a solid of it, though. But I'll say, like, any, any, anybody that I was with that I had a child with, yeah. I'll never consider a mistake. Sure. Because what came from it would only have come from it. They would only be who they are if I did it that if I didn't, if I didn't do it that way they wouldn't be who they yeah, are. Yeah. So nothing that doesn't matter. Not, you know that's that's like no no mistake there. Uh, you know, and in music, I'd say not practicing um, for moving out and before I did the before I did the audition back in two thousand and one. No, I don't know. There's so many. You know what I mean? I I sucked up then. You know, I, I was. It wasn't meant to be, man. That, no, that I, ended I, I was such. I was a couple so, of years. Yeah. It was a great show, but it was no, it was it was. And I, I had I had again like they already had Michael Cavanaugh. They already yeah. had Wade. They already had their guys. Yeah. So they were spying on me to maybe be a you know a third chair or yeah, something that they right. might have needed. But I was too used to playing Billy's tunes the way I played them. Yes, they wanted it exactly was, by the book. So I but went like a little theatrical too, which uh, isn't. Like, and not only that, but in a box. Yeah, in a box. This yeah, is no I putting remember, it down under the stage. Yeah. In other words, uh, Tommy says this to me all the time when I say, ah, "I wish I would have, you know, would have been a little more whatever and a little more." Whatever. He goes, he goes, Mike. He goes. The first time I saw you, he goes, they, they asked me to report back what I saw. He goes, he's, re, he's unbelievable. We love the way he sounds. Love, you know, Tommy, I love the way he sounds, whatever, whatever. He goes, but he would look at me all the time. He goes, Mike, tattoos, bald. <laughs> Twyla Thorpe was literally like, 
<laughs> you know, like, who's this guy? Looks like he's going to get jump out in the audience and knock some people out. So it, it was, you know, it was, and Tommy knows me as somebody that, like, you can't put a set list in front of me. You can. And it's not going to work. No, no. Maybe 5% of the time I'm going to stick to that list. Yeah. I don't like to be put in a box on stage. I yeah. like to really just, oh, I got a feeling. Let me go with this. Let me go with that. And, you know, we'll have a template, but then let me, sure. you know. So there's, there's, there's that. Yeah. yeah. Love yeah. that. Yeah. So I'm going to, uh, I think what we're going to do is we'll, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to close out uh, with some closing comments first and then you'll sure. play some. What do you want to play? What do you think? Uh, probably until the end. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So. I want to thank everybody for joining us first. We're going to be on for a few more minutes while <clears throat> Mike performs here. Uh, but I want to say a couple of things. So, um, yeah, the launch cast. Uh, this, was, this was a big deal for me, guys. This was, uh, this was something that I have wanted to do for a long time. Um, I think it's a, it's a necessary show. Uh, we're going to be we're going to be talking about leadership from all perspectives, business, life, growth. So stay tuned. You can find us. You know what you do? Check me out on Instagram, Facebook at Launchpad CEO. Uh, you'll find the links to the Launchcast accounts from there. This this has been an incredible first episode, and uh, I want to I want to thank Mike for being a dude. This is. Thank you. No, this means so much my to pleasure. me that you were here. And I also, it was important for me to tell your story from a different perspective. I did a ton of research on you. Um, I was up till three in the morning last night, man. I, I watched every single interview you've done. I've read every article. Uh, I want to be well prepared for these interviews. And I want to I want to get to the crux of leadership. You've right? done a wanna, fantastic job. Thank you, you my you're man. You're a really good interviewer. Thank man. you, no my joke. man. No I joke. appreciate it. Yeah. I want to get to the crux. And that's what this is about. I want to sort of get to the crux of what it means to be a leader and to show everybody that there's an unconventional journey to get to it, right? Yes. Um, my journey to being who I am today, fuck, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but but at the same time, I would wish it on everybody. You, would because you, you, you wouldn't wish the process on anybody, but the, you, you would wish the result. Yeah, but you know what, yeah. man? It, it's almost like you've been inspired by so many just traumas and tragedies in your life and by so many joys in your life right yeah. and that that comes through in your music and so that's what i'm trying to do this is my music right now yeah. man this is what i'm trying to do because you don't want to hear my real music um <laughs> it actually sounds mostly like your mom walking down the hall in the mornings tooting, <laughs> right so um but but this is what we're going to do we're going to dive in every single week uh with a new interview so you'll be able to find this the following monday morning on uh on itunes on apple podcast uh by 6 a.m these will load up and then look for the videos look for the youtube channel the whole deal um so i'm gonna leave this with mike again thank you we'll go to you now and uh thanks for joining us guys all right uh this is uh until the end there you go Did you find me there again Outside our old hotel You have grown and I have shown That I've been fine as well Can I build a bridge between your heart and mine Take away your pain and make it mine Until the end, my faithful friend
till the end Did you find me there again inside our old hotel Years have gone and still you're on my mind but can you tell Will you look for me if I cannot be found Say to me you'll always be around until the end, my faithful friend. Till the end. Yeah. I will look for you if you cannot be found I say to you I'll always be around Until the end My faithful friend Till the Thanks for having me. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Later. Launch sequence terminated. Into the black hole. Thanks for listening to the LaunchCast today. Please make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available. Follow me, George Andriopoulos, at LaunchpadCEO on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And make sure to visit our website, guys, thelaunchcast.com. Looking forward to the next episode. See you soon, guys.